Yeah, a little bit like Christmas. That was a comment from our friends at the NCAA today as we released the brackets. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. Welcome into Hoopsville. It's Bracket Showdown Day, or Bracket Breakdown Day, whatever you want to call it. Brackets are out, is all I'm trying to say. Got a lot to cover tonight. We'll talk about the brackets. We'll talk to the committee chairs, and we'll hear from some pundits uh, who are experts, I hope, who will be willing to join us uh, to talk it all over. If you got questions for us, you can interact with us on social medias, and you can find us on most of them at D3 Hoopsville. You can also join us on, uh, send us an email, hoopsville at d3sports.com. We'll try and answer your questions as best we can. Uh, we're also Facebook live simulcasting the show, facebook.com slash hoopsville, and on YouTube, youtube.com slash D3 Hoopsville. Lots of ways to get a hold of us, and we certainly... We'll look forward to hearing from you as we go along. Um, long day, and our our uh, selection crews last night each uh, got 21 out of 22. Correct. Uh, on the men's side, the selection was Illinois Wesleyan. I think if we had different regional rankings, we may have gone a different direction. I'm not sure if we would have gotten to Stockton or not, but we didn't. On the women's side, they ended up choosing, um, was it Dubuque? What was it? I forgot the team that, that we didn't pick, but I had Illinois, I had Ohio Wesleyan circled. I certainly talked about them, but gave up the ghost. Turns out Ohio Wesleyan was the pick on the women's side. Regional rankings are out. They took them a while. Uh, it took uh, Atlanta, it seems, almost 24 hours to put up the men's. Not that they would have put them up right away, but. They had them for a while. I know that much. So that was unfortunate. That always seems to get dragged out for reasons that nobody understands. But nonetheless, brackets are out. Lots of interesting um, things to break down. But first and foremost, let's talk about the teams and how they reacted to all of this. Because nine times out of ten, that's the most fun part of all this. Am I right? And so we've gotten a bunch of from around Division Three, Sit back and enjoy the reactions. We will start with two institutions who weren't sure if they were getting in. Maybe if they watched our show, they got an inkling. The first one, Concordia Moorhead, may have gotten that inkling. The second one's Ohio Wesleyan. Let's get another at-large, 25, Concordia Moorhead. <laughs> Christopher Newport. Yeah. 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 
teams entering this tournament. Rhode Island College is one of the Well, the camera did it to me again. Sorry for the delay there. We're coming back. We've tried all day to keep that from happening. It was working well earlier today, but it stopped working now. Great reactions. Lots of clapping, as you as you certainly saw from those around um, Division Three. Uh, congratulations to all the teams that made it. Feel bad for those who missed out. Uh, I, I've been told, we believe, that... Uh, Stockton men's basketball, we know from their article, basically thought they were done and dusted and weren't going to make it at all. Apparently, Scott Bittner, their head coach, was on uh, the boardwalk in Atlantic City just hanging out uh, when he got hit, when his phone essentially blew up. Uh, it might have happened right about the moment I went, Stockton, right on the air. Um, listen, we'll talk about that maybe a little bit more. The pundits will certainly hear about it from Luke Flakertsy here in a few minutes when we talk to him. We'll also talk to Bethany Danley coming up. Luke's is a pre-recorded interview just due to his travel. Bethany's will be a uh, live interview due to her travel. 
So we'll hear from them and then hopefully some pundits. But great reactions around Division Three. Appreciate everybody who was able to send their videos into us. And some of those that we had to grab online, they're not the best as a result of that, but uh, not fun none the, nonetheless, as they say. So um, YouTube or Facebook's decided to go down because we froze there again. We're going to fix that in a moment um, because, you know, that's how we do things. Bracket breakdown part two. It's unbelievable. This is why we don't totally rely on the Facebook version. Um, what can I say? We'll get it back up in a break. We'll take that break. We'll talk to Luke Flacurzi. Then later in the show, we will start diving into these brackets. Give you our take on some of the uh, decisions slash results slash whatever you want to call it. We'll try and answer some of your questions. You can tweet us. You can email us. You can join us on one of the simulcasts. We'll find a way to answer your questions. You're listening to Hoops, presented by D3Hoops.com from the NABC studios. And thanks to our friends at the W uh, NABC. Back with more after this. The National Association of Basketball Coaches is the nation's premier professional development and advocacy organization for basketball coaches at every level. The NABC strives to serve as the voice for coaches on national issues while advancing the core value of leadership, service, advocacy, education, and inclusion. To learn more about the NABC and to become a member, visit nabc.com and follow the NABC on social media at NABC1927. That's nabc.com or NABC1927 on social media. I used to never really talk. Ever. I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. Football has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person. Competing at a Division III level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle, and, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's nearly 850 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over two decades. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.D3Hoops.com. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. 
It's on us, all of us, to stop, stop sexual, sexual assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. If I lose, I'll respond with respect. If I win, I'll back it up with humility. If I fail, I'll rise up with honor. It's tough for us to put it all on the line. Don't undo my hard work with poor sportsmanship. Respect. It's the name of the game. Coach of the Year, Administrator of the Year, All-America Team, Wade Trophy. The WBCA doesn't just honor coaches, but players, administrators, and much more. The WBCA strives to honor those who have contributed to the advancement of women's basketball. Celebrate the present, honor the past, look to the future. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. As we continue along on this Bracket Breakdown show, coming up here in a moment, we'll be hearing from Luke Flakertsy, who I talked to earlier today about the decisions that the men's committee made, including Stockton getting in. We'll talk more about that afterwards as well with uh, those who decide to join us as our as our reactionary crew. Um, but they had some you know, out, outside um, data, as it were, very much similar to University of Rochester last year and uh, University of Wisconsin Oshkosh several years back. We talked to him uh, earlier today about that. We talked about bracketing. We talked to a lot of others. We'll talk to um, Bethany Danley coming up about uh, the women's side of things. She'll actually join us live. She's able to do so due to her travel, whereas Luke was unable to do it live with us. So joining us earlier today, had a long conversation with Luke Flakertsy. Now joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline, it's a head coach of Rochester, but more importantly, it's the men's basketball committee chair. It's Luke Flakertsy, who uh, looks, uh, Luke, rather well-rested for a man who I suspect did not get a lot of sleep this weekend. Just just a wild guess. It was a long weekend, but uh, well worth it. Yeah, I'm sure. Listen, that's a catch-22, right, Luke? This, this, is, this is hard work. The committee is up and running nonstop. I don't know how late you'll go. Maybe you could tell us how late you guys all went last night. Um, and it's grueling. But in the, in, the, in the grand scheme of things, you all signed up for this because this is what you enjoy doing and you enjoy being part of this process to try and, and make it as good a tournament as possible. Yeah, it's a very rewarding experience just to see the enjoyment of the student-athletes. It's, it's something that's truly special about, about playing athletics in this academic environment. And being able to put on a great championship is is really uh, something that's special. So uh, the, the work is hard and, uh, you know, we take it seriously. We have fun doing it. And, you know, I, the experience has been very rewarding for me professionally. Of course, uh, we're recording with you because uh, you've got to get back home and, and deal with all the things. You're not done. You've still got some calls and other work to get done in this process. But uh, we should dive in. Uh, I think some people are already wondering why I haven't asked the first question out of the gate yet. Stockton, hello. They, I think, had packed up the locker room. That's just my guess. Uh, they certainly, at least on their public profiles, did not seem to think they'd be in the NCAA tournament. And and listen, as a production guy, a little hat tip to you because they were also <laughs> one of the last to be revealed. Uh, drag that one out. Um, that was some poetic justice for sure. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, I appreciated it from a production standpoint. But I, admittedly, that I think surprised many. Now, we've gotten to see the regional rankings since then, and obviously who was at the table is a big indicator on this. And there were probably some teams that we were considering that weren't there in reality, uh, the likes of Emory and um, uh, Clark was at the table, Albertus Magnus was at the table, etc. And Illinois Wesleyan didn't have maybe some wins that we were attributing to them to with Carthage. So that obviously changed the resume. I can't look at it right now to know it all. But what stood out about Stockton? Because admittedly, Luke, this is an Oshkosh conversation. It's a Rochester conversation. 630 winning percentage, granted with a pretty gaudy SOS. What did you guys dive in and say or find with Stockton that was worthy of that selection? I think the easiest answer is, you know, just the consistency of our approach. We've been very kind of consistent week to week, uh, year to year, honestly, about it being the totality of the resume and and, and valuing all aspects of the primary criteria. And uh, the simplest way to say it is this, the committee felt that, you know, the totality of Stockton's resume was, uh, you know, however slightly ahead of the other teams it was being compared to at their time of selection. So. I think Stockton stands out as a, a very strong team, high high SOS, some quality wins, quantity of uh, ranked results. So there's certainly a, a lot of things uh, uh, that are part of Stockton's resume to like. Uh, you know, obviously, like we talked about yesterday, um, you know, the the beginning of the Pool C selection process is is quite straightforward, and and when you get towards the end. And, you know, without giving up uh, the exact order of selections that, you know, I think everyone would assume that Stockton was towards the end. And, you know, it gets some muddy waters there where, you know, there's imperfections to everyone's resume who's being considered. And, um, you know, it, it's uh, the the selection process and decisions get a lot harder and more challenging to kind of decide between the nuances of everyone's resume. I know you and I talked about at the beginning of the season a little bit if there were floors per se, whether there was a floor too low for an SOS, there's a flow too low, floor too low, excuse me, for the win-loss percentage. And, and you certainly stressed, and others have stressed, that there technically isn't. And I say technically only because I don't want to be hard and fast on anything. But that you, you're you not saying, well, they're below 667. They're below 70% on the winning percentage and automatically eliminating their resume, as we see here with the 630 for Stockton. That all said, a lot of their resume seems to be duplicated, at least the other guys say it, a little more smarter than myself. (laughs) You get a big win, great, but you also have that in the SOS. You also have that in the results versus regionally ranked. You have that in the – like there's some things here that kind of repeat themselves. Can that over – and I'm not trying to be uh, negative to Stockton, can that overinflate a resume when you may have one or two results that are literally maybe being shown in four different places? Yeah, I, those guys are much smarter than me with the math piece of it. Uh, what I can say is we've been uh, very kind of transparent about us not trying to translate the criteria and, and just evaluate it. Um, you know, there is a lot of argument to be made. Uh, you know, the phrase that a lot of people use is it's, you know, different columns or, or criteria are baked into each other. And, you know, SOS, for example, you know, it could, you know, a, uh, sorry, regional ranked results, for example, um, can speak to the SOS and the win-loss percentage. If teams have played a lot of regionally ranked games, that could be a reason why they have a lower winning percentage. And if they haven't played very many ranked games, it could be a reason why their SOS is really low and they're, they have a high winning percentage. So, you know, these criteria aren't completely isolated and independent from each other. So uh, again, you know, the, our, we have an imperfect system and that that is clear. Uh, but what, what, what we've been very clear about as a committee is 
We're evaluating all five primary criteria. We're evaluating the totality of the resume. And so when you use the weight analogy that I've used a number of times this year, and you think about your question, I mean, those are all criteria that have to have some sort of weight put on the scale for um, the good parts of them. And so uh, again, the totality of the resume here won the day. And to some de- <clears throat> to some degree, a, a win against Keene State back on November 17th is doing a lot of the lifting here. And that's not a negative. I'm saying it's it's helping Stockton. They play Keene. They get a win. Keene is obviously highly regionally ranked. It certainly helps them. Uh, it doesn't hurt them in a lot of ways. And, and that ends up being, we talk about playing a whole season, that ends up being a pretty key factor in all this. Yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot about quality wins, too. Uh, obviously, quantity and quality. And so five results against regionally ranked opponents is significant. And having a number one against a, a team as strong as Keene State. I mean, Keene State's been a very strong number one in Region 2 uh, throughout the entire season. And then Rowan has been a very strong resume as well. And they have two wins against Rowan. And so and we, I think, off air, we were just talking about the run that TCNJ made. And so that, you know, the win, the regional ranked win against TCNJ also had some quality. So, um, you know, those are all significant parts or weights that uh, were part of the evaluation. Yeah, we should we should point out again, as you said, TCNJ, they moved into fourth in the regional rankings on the men's side in that final ranking, which certainly helped. They also had Stockton and Ramapo sitting in those regional ranks. I am kind of curious. You talk about quality and quantity. Certainly, we certainly stressed on the show, um, both on the men's and women's brackets or uh, selections when we were trying to make it. I think a lot of people question why losses maybe don't take a bigger um Oh, I've lost the word I wanted to use, but bigger place in the conversation. I know they're kind of there in the regionally ranked opponents, but it feels a little bit more like the wins are more heavily stressed than the losses. Are the losses considered in any way? I can say safely that this committee discussed uh, the losses overall all in the regional rank losses more than, you know, any committee I've been on so far. And so, you know, the fact that they had six regionally ranked losses certainly was discussed and, um, you know, not to play devil's advocate, but we just talked about kind of how those six losses could be factored into their winning percentage and against quality teams and also their SOS. So, you know, the, uh, I, I think I've been the, the, one of my perspectives on this is, has been kind of like a, a recruiter perspective in the sense that I, I think every coach out there would love an admissions office that when they're considering an applicant would look for reasons to accept a student and not reasons to reject. And so I, I would say that it's safe to say that our tilt as a committee is to, you know, kind of focus on those quality wins a little bit more. But uh, we, we definitely discuss, you know, the winning percentage and the, and the losses in that co- co- uh, criteria as well. I think what's interesting here is that we're not having a conversation with, like in your case, a UAA team getting in. We're not having a conversation about a NESCAC team getting in because that's been the easy argument for many on the outside looking in saying, well, UAA has this inherent advantage and the NESCAC's got this inherent advantage. Interesting enough, it's an NJAC team with 11 regionally ranked opponents that arguably is the last team who gets in with a 630 winning percentage. I But I do counter, and I asked this before, and I, I am genuinely curious what is the conversation then to uh, conferences and institutions who don't have the ability to maybe schedule, whether they're out on an island or they're in, a, in an area where they can't spend a lot of money? We're, we're running into a you know, big budget shortfall for a lot of institutions, and we're already starting to see some signs of budget tightening. What do we talk to with those institutions to say, 
We understand that you can't build an SOS like Stockton or a UAA or a NESCAC can, and we know you can't get as many regionally ranked opponents, so the quantity number is lower. Honestly, what is the conversation with those institutions to give them an idea that if they slipped in the conference tournament game and have only three losses, that why, why their resume doesn't feel like it's being considered as highly? Yeah, I, this is something that I've discussed uh, in different interviews throughout the year, and I think it's been discussed exhaustively on on you know social media and with the Division Three pundits. Like, uh, I mean, we we get into some of these conversations on the committee as well, and and I'm quick uh, to point out that this is us getting into the weeds. Uh, you know, these are problems that aren't part of our our committee's charge and not our job. You know, we're we're there to evaluate the criteria that we've been given and and try to. Uh, you know, make the decision on uh, on which teams to select based on that criteria. And so, you know, I'm I'm happy to speak to this because I do have a personal opinion, uh, but it's not really part of, you know, kind of the at-large process or the criteria that we're we're, we're working with here. Well, it is part of the criteria because we're talking about a win-loss percentage that is pretty significant. If they've only got two or three losses coming in at the end of the season and maybe one of them comes in that last week, that's why you're discussing them. They didn't get the automatic bid is what I'm trying to allude at. We are kind of discussing some of that criteria, a very gaudy win-loss percentage, uh, and maybe not a bad SOS. I'm thinking of one team in particular who, interestingly enough, was not where we thought they were regionally ranked. We can dive into that hole, but my general point is their SOS wasn't bad, really good win-loss percentage. For whatever reason, they can't get the schedule they need, so I am looking at it from that criteria perspective. Why would a very somewhat low win-loss percentage with a heavy SOS is getting more attention than a very good win-loss percentage and an average yeah. or above average SOS. I guess it's a simple oh, Maybe one of the math that. guys can art, um, articulate it better, but I, the, the way my, my personal perspective on it is that um, having a very high winning win-loss percentage and, and a low SOS uh, makes it harder to put other weights on the scale. Um, you know, if you've played a high SOS and you have a lot of results against ranked opponents and maybe a, a lower winning uh, win-loss percentage, I, I think that there's there's more weights to put on the scale in, in those comparisons. Um, so, I, you know, that's certainly a thought we've had. Again, a topic of conversation as we evaluate resumes and, and, and consider things. But I do think that having a high win-loss percentage in an SOS, obviously, you don't have as many of those opportunities that, you know, to, to play regional ranked opponents and, and high level ones. And so that's been pointed out repeatedly this year. And, you know, it's, it's certainly an aspect of our criteria that that is is not perfect. And, um, you know, as we probably will continue to discuss ways to improve the criteria as a collective Division Three community, uh, I think we can all agree there's room for improvement. Yeah, I think there's always room for improvement. That's, I think, why we ask probing questions, because we kind of want to understand, A, where's a committee coming from? And B, from even your perspective, where do you wish things could improve or whatever? And this certainly isn't um, the perfect science, because as we've discussed, you and I, put a committee on from two years ago who looked at the exact same data you have, they may come up with slightly different answers. And that's not a knock on anyone. It's just that you're humans. But we talk about this pairwise system system that's lurking. I'm just going to say it's lurking. Whether it gets through or not and comes to Division Three in all sports, we don't know yet. But that tries to make it very simplistic. And I feel like this is a very complicated system that we're trying to simplify too simply. Where's the balance in trying to 
keep the committee's work while also trying to find those nuances um, and and make it understood for everybody. Does that make any sense? Of course it does. And I, I think that you know one of the better perspectives I've seen is like, you know, we're not completely far off. I think if you came up with a better metric for the results versus regional ranked opponents, I think that would be a, a pretty big step forward and not necessarily, uh, you know, worse than going to a computer system. So, um, you know, but that that's kind of the landscape we're in. There's a lot of people who feel like, you know, the system's broken and, and going to something that's more, you know, numeric and transparent is the answer. And, you know, I, again, way, way above my pay grade as a volunteer. As a volunteer, we should point out. Yes. Um, there's others we could dive into. Obviously, when we got to the end of our system, we didn't have all the same regionally ranked teams or regional or teams at the table that you all did, interesting enough, as we pointed out there before. I don't want to dive into the rabbit hole of all of those. We don't have that kind of time. But it, I did find it interesting that some teams making conference runs got a little bit of a benefit. Not all did. You know, like WNL, for example, um, not ranked. Emory stayed ahead of them despite a win over Randolph-Macon. Um how much how much changing around though did you guys do from the rack through the technical week for regional rankings to the actual final regional rankings where you retabulated the results versus regionally ranked opponent data? There were some changes. I I wouldn't say any more or less than your average week though. Um, you know, I I, I think just to reiterate that the data is always changing, and so. Um, you know, obviously, a team going on a big conference tournament run improves their data and and possibly uh, in a comparison helps them pass someone who's in front of them. Maybe it gets them to a tie. Maybe it gets them close, but not not past. And so, like that's a lot of what we're spending our time on Saturday, Sunday doing is is kind of sorting through those comparisons and and making sure we still have them in the correct order. And like's been pointed out, you know, it's the totality of the resume when games are played doesn't really matter. Um, you know, how they did in their last 10 games doesn't matter. So we're just taking that snapshot at the end of the season and we're comparing those two resumes. And so uh, emotionally, it feels like, oh, well, they just went on a great run in a conference tournament that, that they should be able to move past this team. But we're just looking at the two resumes uh, in this moment of time and, and deciding which one uh, has the better overall resume. How deep into the weeds did you guys go when trying to make some of these last picks to get into the tournament? Um, you know, I, I would say that, that it was a, a fairly streamlined process. Uh, I, really good conversation. I thought our, our committee did a great job. Um, you know, there was similar to the conversations you were having externally here. There was a lot of agreement. You know, some of those resumes are really strong and, um, you know, it's, like I referenced, it gets just it gets muddier and, and and more complicated at the end, and so it always slows down at the end. But I think we, uh, our committee was pretty efficient uh, without taking those decisions light, lightly. You know, obviously, I've been a coach of, of one of those teams who just missed, and it's a terrible place to be. And and you know, there's always going to be those teams, no matter how many teams you have in the field, and it's uh it, it's terrible and to think about their emotions right now. Um, but you know, I, I, I choose not to, <laughs> I choose to focus on the, the exciting parts of our, that are ahead and the teams that made the field and, um, you know, just the success that they should be enjoying right now. Um, if I'm not mistaken, please correct me if I'm wrong here on the, just the selection part. Did, did anybody have to come off the call? I, I didn't think anybody did, right? This might've been one of the first years that men's basketball has not had to lose anybody in a while. Yeah, the, the only selection, it, it, uh, the only team that we have represented uh, on the men's basketball committee 
just off the top of my head is Baruch. And, you know, obviously um, we, we had referenced that um, Coach Alisi was not part of the bracketing process. He, he was he was done for the night at that stage. So, But at least could take part in selecting since they were the AQ, um, certainly. Uh, let's pivot to the bracket because I don't want to lose too much of our time. Um, first and foremost, some uh, some of this was kicking in while I was doing the show because you know <laughs> our time turnaround is not ideal. That's not a knock on you guys at all, by the way. Um, we just don't have a ton of time to turn it around and look at it. But so, so some of this was kind of hitting me as we were going through it. But uh, a you'd certainly look like you tried to spread out who you felt were the four best teams, even the eight best teams in the division as far away from one another as you could. You got Case Western and Platteville, uh, Wash U and Trine on one quarter, Randolph-Macon with John Carroll, uh, Trinity and NYU in the other. I mean, that's a heck of a foursome. Guilford, Keene State, Oswego, uh, and Widener. And then, of course, Hamden-Sydney sitting, with, interestingly enough, with the uh, Catholic group, uh, Cal Lutheran group, and Trinity group, which obviously means we're going to likely have some flights uh, in that second weekend. What was the if you were to have your druthers, having you looked over it a hundred times? Is there anything you would have liked to have changed, or wish you could have changed from what we got? Always the, the our limitations and restrictions in the Division Three landscape, both geographically and the, and the rules that were given, uh, are are the frustrating parts uh, of building a bracket. But I would say our committee is extremely excited. I, I I think that this is one of the most balanced, competitive, well spread out brackets we have. Um, I, again, if you uh, can can just kind of like accept some of those limitations and restrictions that we have as we build it. But I think we did a really good job protecting top seeds. I think we did a really good job seeding the tournament. I think it might be the most, obviously it's not perfect, but the most truly seeded tournament we've had. And um, meaning that, you know, we, I, I think, you know, the, the, not only the top, the top hosts, but kind of throughout, you know, we, we were really relatively close to, being a very balanced bracket when you look at the, the different quads. And so uh, that part's really exciting. Um, you know, hard, big density in, in the South in the Atlantic region, um, you know, and having a slightly less uh, options for Midwest hosts, um, you know, exciting parts. Uh, I think we're going back to California for maybe the first time in 15, 16 years. Yeah, it's so been a while. It's been a long time, so certainly Cal Lutheran uh, deserving that opportunity to host the pod out there, which was excited, and it was not at the expense of a Texas pod, which was also exciting. Um, so getting to some of those geographic outliers uh, with our bracket uh, was certainly a, a huge positive in our mind. We continue to, um, you know, avoid uh, first round. Uh, repeats from the regular season uh, and and try to separate conference opponents as much as possible. If you look at the bracket, I think that there's some really good separation from uh, conference opponents when teams had multiple entries into the field. And so uh, those are all uh, really cool. I think a lot of first-time matchups, teams that have never played before uh, or at least have not played in a very long time. Um, and then we had some more kind of uh, uh, I think matchups that you would approve of and, and appreciate, you know, uh, possibility of a Randolph making Elmhurst final four rematch. Um, you know, I know Hobart CNU is one that certainly stands out as a canceled game from uh, the sweet 16 and the quarterfinals in 2020. So uh, there's some cool parts that uh, some were on purpose, somewhere kind of happenstance. Uh, a couple of questions, just if we get into the nitty gritty, as it were, um, you know, where there was a debate on for us, you know, do you send St. Thomas out or do you send Centenary out? What I, I think you could argue that into circles. Um, the guys, not me, chose 
um, St. Thomas, uh, I'm sorry, Centenary sent out. What was the choice in sending uh, St. Thomas instead of Centenary? Some of it's pretty, like a a lot of these schools, there's only one place they can drive to. Um, And so you you see some ones that aren't perfect or some, you know, matchups that will happen again in the second round that aren't ideal. And and those are mostly based on geographic region. So, um, you know, I think Trinity is the only place that they could bus to. I think uh, Barry can only bus to Guilford. Um, And, you know, Platteville created that issue as well um, with Gustavus and Bethany. Um, and so those, those are ones where, you know, the mileage restrictions really came into play. I am curious though, with what you did with the Texas group, you had now let's, let's just argumentatively call Centenary a Texas school. I know they're in Louisiana, but they're coming <laughs> out of one of those sky, they're coming out of the conferences of Texas, ASC and SCAC. But interesting enough, you had Trinity, Texas taking on Texas, Dallas. And so you then have Centenary taking on Nebraska Wesleyan. Was there any thought to change that around and have Texas, Dallas, and Centenary playing and Trinity taking on Nebraska Wesleyan? Or was that getting into a little bit of a, a seeding issue where you felt it was unbalanced? We had a, a lot of different scenarios going to the, the weekend here, obviously with Colorado College and, and uh, Centenary playing in, in the championship game that created some different flight circumstances. All of the ARC uh, teams obviously created some some issues as well, and so I won't call it an arc train, but certainly those uh, four four representatives from the ARC. Um, and so, you know, there 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 were we were we were working with you know what are the flight options here? You know, given our seating, uh, you know, possibility of a California pod, possibility of a Texas pod, like how can we make this happen? And then also thought to like, you know, based on our seating priorities, you know, how can we keep it the most balanced bracket? And so there probably are other solutions or paths forward, but that was the one we came to and felt really good about. I think, you know, kind of kind of cool having a Texas team fly to, to California, in my opinion, and, um, you know, certainly having some other teams in those uh, pods as well. Interesting enough, the, the grouping in Platteville, you already talked about it being a little bit difficult, and Bethany Lutheran will get the pioneers. On the other side, it's Loris and Gustavus Adolphus. That whole pod just feels like a beast to some degree. Where you kind of, as you said, with Platteville being a little bit of an issue, were you kind of forced into some of those decisions? Is it is it how you wanted that to be? Well, Platteville wasn't the issue so much as uh, just the the Minnesota schools couldn't get to very many hosts. And so that's where it came into play. And there was a first round matchup in that pod that we had to avoid. So um, I believe Bethany Lutheran and Gustavus had already played. So I know we try and avoid those, especially in conference. They're, they're already avoidable. But do you feel that sometimes you could justify a rematch there if it's going to keep your pod a little bit more balanced? Uh, I think we'd certainly discuss it if it, if it felt significant enough um you know this seemed like the best path forward when you looked by the way other matchups that i didn't mention on the air hope and anderson there's a little bit of a mentor and mentee going on there with the anderson head coach being a a former hope graduate uh and and certainly one there the other one that jumped out of me by the way dubuque illinois college wash you wisconsin lutheran um one because i think illinois college is far better than people realize too because wisconsin lutheran is known to pull off some upsets uh, i feel like maybe you were having a little fun with this one <laughs> i think we could spend an hour on this call just talking about how exciting some of these first round pods yeah, exactly. are um, I, I i think there are some uh really really exciting sites here that i hope people get out and watch um you know i can laundry list them but i think 
there's a lot to be excited about at the Catholic pod. There's a lot to be excited about the Trinity Connecticut pod. I mean, there's, there's some really, really cool matchups and, 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 you know, some of those you, you just met for, uh, referenced the mentor mentee, you know, I have, <laughs> I experienced that as a, as a coach myself, but, uh, we had some by, you know, happenstance, uh, you know, there's with the Randolph making Baruch that that's going on. Um, and I think there's, uh, there's one other one, uh, Stevens Farmingdale was, you know, not on purpose either. So, um, you know, those storylines are, are, are not part of our conversations, obviously, but they're they're kind of cool things to, to think about when, and talk about when you look at the bracket. Speaking of Stevens, how much were you guys living on the uh, edge of your seats watching some of these games come down to the end this weekend? It's constant. I mean, it's, you know, you find yourself when you start to work through and map out some of these bracketing thoughts, you know, it's like, and then you start rooting for certain results just so you can, you know, get the, the kind of matchups and bracket you want. And like maybe, hey, we can save a flight if this team wins or loses. But, you know, obviously we're going to we're going to build the best bracket by the teams that make the field and, and, and we would figure it out. Swarthmore, Virginia Wesleyan is fascinating. Of course, it's at Trinity where Utica will be as well. Uh, NYU hosting. I know this was kind of one we didn't talk about, but talked about, but you know, that kind of thing. They do get a chance at their own place. Admittedly, sir, I, I feel like you, you threw Hassan um, a, a big task here, but I think they're up for it. That's a nice little trip, though. They're normally don't get past New England for the most part. Yeah, look, I, I I mean, don't quote me on this. I'm not really comparing it to anything, but it feels like the most national bracket we've ever had and the most balanced, both, you know, by maintaining seeds and maintaining seeds within a pod. And, uh, you know, that we also want that cross-regional competition that has been referenced by, you know, Sarah Quadraki and others in the past. And so getting Hassan out of the Northeast is, I think, a, a plus. And so they're not in New England, um, you know, coming up uh, from Maine. Uh, you know, I think that was that was cool that we could get them to a site outside of their region. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Warren Crusoe's team I might give NYU a bit of a game there. That's for sure. And you got Tufts and Stockton there, too, which is a fascinating quad. Um, how many times were you told no? Uh, no, none. So. Really? You you produced a bracket that nobody said no to at all, and then you didn't have to change it around at all? Uh, I, we didn't ask any questions that, uh, you know, we did not ask any questions that needed to be asked. But, you know, I think we weren't, you know, kind of haphazard here with like, you know, can we have 15 flights, you know, so um you know i i was i was extremely happy with how things play, played out and we were uh and the and the bracket I, I think is something that is is really exciting moving forward second weekend depending on how things break out looks like set, you know two flights in the upper corner for example in the hamden sydney grouping depending on some results but um not as many as maybe people people anticipate another thing too is times are staggered again um almost to some degree you luck out by having the west coast pod because you can, you don't have to start the games maybe at four or three to kind of get that stagger. You can start them at five, six o'clock in the evening on the East Coast and stagger right to the West Coast because they, they'll start at a reasonable time. Yeah, we have at least uh, four that are Central Time or West, and so that that certainly helps um, staggering those times. And I think that's one of the improvements we've made to our national tournament that adds the excitement. You know, not only do we have great teams playing, but the viewership is is better here. Just being able to watch the finishes, all these games because of the staggered times. And if you are, are that big of a junkie uh, like some of us are, you can sit there and watch basketball all day. Yeah, that that it becomes a little addictive, uh, and I get questions as to why I'm not doing anything. Uh, well, I've got priorities. I'm sorry, I got to watch all five of these games right now. 
Is there anything, uh, any team that surprised or jumped out at you this weekend that is in this tournament, not that it blew up a bracket or not that it forced a, a, a bubble to pop necessarily, but it was one of those where you guys came around going, man, you know, we didn't even think we'd be discussing these guys. I think it was more just kind of the, the sways and the seating. Uh, you know, we kind of have a working group like we talked about yesterday where we kind of evaluate the teams as we're waiting for results to come in. And so we're, we're working with a certain order. And then when we do that reevaluation process, once the results are finalized, just seeing how high some teams moved up or down based on that. And so uh, I'd say that's what stands out, not a specific team. I think the, you know, 22 at-larges were all certainly teams that were on our radar and, and, and some strengthened their resume and some didn't. Um, um, and so, you know, feel really good about that. But I, I think the short answer is no. Yeah, I was just looking back at the bracket again, and you've got uh, Calvin and Elmhurst at John Carroll with New Paltz. Uh, surprise, New Paltz, the outsider in there. But that's that's another beast. And some of these, though, to be fair, kind of walk themselves into this by late season losses or different results, right? Let I me mean, remember, Rowan was supposed to be hosting when we did the top 16s. And now they're not. So a lot of these results, as you pointed out 10 days ago, changed because a lot of results changed in the last 10 days. Yeah, and I think that pot in particular is is an exciting one. I don't think Elmhurst and, and, and John Carroll have ever played, if I if I have that correct. It might, uh, yeah, you, you know, might be check, right on that, yeah. We can check my work. And then, uh, you know, Carroll and um, John Carroll has not played, uh, which is one of them since like 2004, so Calvin. So, um, you know, that's some really cool matchups. Uh, obviously, you know, Elmer's had a, a strong finish to the season. You mentioned someone else who had, a, you know, kind of maybe moved down. So, I mean, that's just the nature of that last weekend. I mean, there's a lot of constant flux like we've referenced. Hey, while I got you on, I want to flip your hat, if you don't mind. Put your UAA hat on for a moment. We got four teams in here, Carnegie Mellon. And by the way, sir, it's Carnegie Mellon. I did double check. Um, I'm curious... What your thought? Listen, they get in as an at-large. We certainly had them as well. You now have four UAAs who are all very different. NYU, Case, Carnegie, and Wash U. As your UAA guy, since you don't have a, a, a team in this thing, how do you think they fare in this tournament? Do you, how do you like the matchups? I, I mean, I think that's self-evident. I, I mean, the the eighth place, well, let's say the seventh place team. So we're not talking about uh, Rochester uh, could have easily beat the number one team on the road. Um, and, and that was true of every game all year long. And it was an unbelievably competitive conference. And, you know, I think that level of battle tested, you know, I think just playing so many close games every game, every time out is certainly, uh, you know, help these teams be ready for tournament play, but there's a lot of really good basketball teams right now. So I think they're all capable of making a run. They're really good basketball teams, but I, I think we can say that for a large portion of the field. Put your uh, committee hat back on. Anybody who didn't put into host that you had to make arrangements as a result of that you wanted to host? Like, were there anything that you had to jump through because someone didn't get their paperwork done? Nothing that really, it was two-factored in. I, I don't think we ever got in a, cornered into anything that we didn't feel was the right thing. So Fair. No, I understand. I, I, I know one of them that we got word of didn't put their paperwork in while they lost. And so that kind of opened up the door for them not hosting anyway. So that's, I meant anybody who you may have been put in that position anyway. Uh, Second weekend, obviously women will take priority. I'm not sure we'll have anything major there other than possibly NYU, but have you already seen paperwork or non paperwork? I should say that's going to maybe have to 
create some tough decisions a second weekend? I know we're prognosticating a little tough there, but curious. Yeah, obviously all the bids have long passed their due date. And so we felt really comfortable that we had, you know, uh, the bids we, we, we were, we needed in, uh, to be ready to go. So I, it's not a hundred percent, but you know, I, I don't think there was anything kind of flashing light there that felt made us feel like we needed to be concerned about what we might be able to do on the second weekend. Uh, I appreciate that. Cause I think what was it the 2020 year was it 2020 or one year the case hosted Elmer's thought was thought to be the host. They didn't put their paperwork in and there was somebody else. And, and, and it was those kinds of things on, Oh my goodness, like this isn't happening how we all thought it would because of some red tape. Um, hey, heading to Fort Wayne, your thoughts in general of what we're going to see in the next three weeks. <laughs> I was actually thinking of this myself, like, hmm, who, I th- who am I thinking might come out of this bracket? And I have, I have no idea. I, I think it, the level of parody, good parody, the level of competition, it's, um, I think we're going to see some really, really contested basketball games throughout. And I, I think, you know, uh, we could see just about anybody in Fort Wayne. Obviously, there's been some teams at the top who have been at the top since the top 16 reveal, who who obviously are still at the top. You know, I think they're obviously the front runners, but uh, they can easily uh, go down as well if they don't come to play that day. So I, I know it's going to be some great basketball. I'm just really excited about the pods we have. And, you know, I, I think that'll be representative in Fort Wayne, regardless of which four teams are there. Yeah, it should be a good time. I, I, that is for sure. And and I, I couldn't even go. I mean, I think Will tried to put me on the spot on the show, who you might see in Fort Wayne. No chance I could pick that out, even <laughs> if I did go for all the favorites. I don't think all the favorites have an easy way to get there in any way, shape, or form. Um, listen, you've talked. we've talked a lot, both on air and off air, in the last few weeks, so I appreciate your time. Um, I, I, I'll freely admit to anybody out there who wish I didn't ask a better question, my brain's a little fogged. Uh, I wish I could have maybe picked out something that you all are talking about, but uh, seriously, Luke, thank you for your time and, 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 uh, and um, well, just your availability because doing some of this stuff has been tough. I know your schedule has been tough. Uh, you know, and as always, we leave the guests the final word though. Any final thoughts you want to share with those out there who probably have a lot more questions than we asked? <laughs> I have a couple of thoughts uh, and they're kind of connected. Um, you know, one is, I, the level that these guys are, are are doing their prognosticating is just really impressive. And, and, and so, you know, I think I'm very proud of our committee and that, you know, we've been very transparent. We, we've, you know, repeatedly told people the process and how we're going about it. And I think we've done a good job of executing that. And I think we see that with, you know, pretty much anyone who's paying attention, getting close to the exact same teams in the tournament as we got. And so when we get to the margins, obviously there's, there's room for, you know, kind of some finer interpretation. And, you know, it really sucks that the, some of those teams have to get left out. And that's the the, the bad part about this every year. Um, I want to just add the, the caveat that we are, we know they're very good basketball teams that are not competing in this tournament. And our charge isn't to select the best basketball teams. We are evaluating the best total resumes based on the NCAA criteria. And those are the teams that are selected. And so I could laundry list for you, you know, teams that are not part of this tournament who or who are post close to pool C's um, that I think everyone would attest is, is a really, really high level basketball team. And so I just want to make that distinction to kind of this conversation because no one's saying that the teams that got left out uh, couldn't compete in this. I think this happens every year. I think in the strong conferences, uh, you have teams that go and watch these first round games and say, hey, our team could could be on that floor. 
And you're right, they could. Um, and, you know, so this is uh, you know this is the the setup we have for our national tournament. This is the process we have, and uh, you know I feel very good that we selected the right teams based on the criteria, and just uh, we did our best to set up an amazing bracket. Um, and so you know, looking forward to an unbelievable 2024 championship here, and just can't follow watch the can't wait to follow and watch the action. Yeah, I mean, unlike Division One, where they find excuses to get teams in with marginal you know records, we don't have any room. We, we, we have the max we can take. D1, if they did it at our ratio, would not have a 68-team tournament. They'd have, what, something like a 54-team tournament. So, yeah, there's a lot of teams that missed out, and it's unfortunate. Um, Luke, appreciate the time. Thank you. Safe travels back to Rochester. Uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you down the road and seeing you in Fort Wayne most, uh, most especially. And uh, in the meantime, take care of yourself, and we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Thanks for all your hard work and all the hard work of everyone who's uh, putting this D3 hoop stuff together. Thanks, Luke. Appreciate that. I know the guys will appreciate it as well. Luke Flickertsy joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline, National Committee Chair here on the Bracket Breakdown. Long conversation with Luke. Good conversation with Luke. I'll be honest, even listening back to that, I forgot some of the conversations that we've had. It's been that kind of weekend, that kind of day, et cetera. Ooh, my hair is starting to get a little wacky here. Um, got enough crap about my hair earlier from some friends. Um, quick reminder, by the way, I mentioned in the middle of the uh, the brackets that uh, St. Thomas and Claremont Mud Scripps had played each other earlier this year. That was just erroneous information on my part. Um all I can guess is somehow I ended up on last year's schedule. I don't know how. But it was on last year's schedule. I was doing my notes and my brain didn't catch it. So <laughs> a little moment there. Luke Luke pointed that out to me off air. Um I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that again. I I feel like Luke was trying to be as transparent as he possibly can. I do think the committee members are, are pumped the brakes a little bit. I don't know why. Um it's personal sometimes, um, but I think he gave us a reason for why Stockton was in. We can agree or disagree or, or go around in circles on whether we agree or disagree on that. Um, I, I'm going to need a little more time in my own brain to process it, to be completely honest. But there's a part of me that that wonders why everybody was okay with the resume Wisconsin Oshkosh had and, and University of Rochester had but not okay with the resume that Stockton had. I think the only major significant difference I can think of off the top of my head, and and the guys can can correct me later, was maybe a couple of wins, uh, results versus regionally ranked opponents. The the winning percentage was the same as Oshkosh those years back, and it was a difference of 63 and 64, you know, 630, 640 for Rochester. Now, Rochester had 10 wins against regionally ranked opponents. I'm fully aware of that. And, and last night, Ryan Scott can come on, he'll talk about it later, was certainly made a point of let's not eliminate Stockton just yet. Um, I don't think we would have evaluated Illinois Wesleyan as strong as we did had we had them at three regional wins instead of the five, and the three being that Carthage was not ranked. I would not have been arguing um, for Nichols if I had realized that Clark and maybe even WPI, but at least Clark was still ahead of them. Um, and I think that would have changed our conversations, but it is what it is. We'll find out from the pundits and the experts a little bit later when we hear from them. By the way, thank you to those who've donated to the cause. We're inching our way closer to our goal. When we come back, we'll switch gears. We'll talk to the women's national committee chair. She's live after a long drive, including what is always the wonderful trip across the West Virginia mountains on the interstate. I enjoy it. 
when I'm fully caffeinated and willing to drive. Not sure how she did it after a long weekend in Indy, but we'll talk to Bethany Danley coming up here on Hoopsville. You listen to Hoopsville presented by D3Hoops.com and our friends at Sport Tours International from the NABC studios. More with the Women's Basketball Committee chair when we come back. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division Three student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division Three teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Responsibility is being accountable for your words and actions, first and foremost. It also is an obligation to be a positive influence in the communities around you. Being in a D3 program, you're going to have lots of different opportunities. You're not just an athlete. You're also involved in student life. Your academics are extremely important. We give a lot of our student athletes responsibilities right from the start by giving them leadership opportunities, by having them engage in the community, being a positive influence. That's being a responsible person. There are over 480,000 college athletes. Only 2% would go pro. That means over 470,000 will not get a shoe contract. No autographs. No private jets. No fan clubs. No Hall of Fame inductions. Instead, they will walk away with something much more valuable. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's nearly 850 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over two decades. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. I did receive a non-athletic scholarship upon entering uh, school. I got the presidential scholarship, which was huge for me. I think there's more opportunities for academic scholarships in Division Three. I did receive academic scholarships. Just being involved on campus, being a leader, all those things combined kind of get me recognized. It's a great experience for me. The National Association of Basketball Coaches is the nation's premier professional development and advocacy organization for basketball coaches at every level. 
The NABC strives to serve as the voice for coaches on national issues while advancing the core value of leadership, service, advocacy, education, and inclusion. To learn more about the NABC and to become a member, visit nabc.com and follow the NABC on social media at NABC1927. That's nabc.com or NABC1927 on social media. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. As we continue to roll along on our bracket breakdown special, I promise you all this very much tomorrow. Don't expect me to be on social media. <laughs> I'm going to take a break. Uh, first, car's got to get an oil lube. And uh, second, I'm going to catch some uh, Zs. Third, I got to pick up my daughter from school early. And fourth, I just don't want to be near a computer tomorrow. The sad part is I still have work to do, but I actually have the day off tomorrow. So if you got questions, you better ask them now on this show as we talk. We're going to pivot here, going to actually adjust the show a smidge as we are going to go talk women's committee. Uh, didn't think Bethany Danley would make good as good a time as she did on the way back from Indy, but apparently she uh, really coasted well downhill through the uh, mountains of West Virginia and didn't slide off the road through any of the curves. Uh, I'm also surprised she didn't stop on the way at the Greenbrier for a well-needed rest, uh, well rest as she joins us on the uh, Hoopsville hotline. Uh, Bethany, uh, I'm, firing, I'm firing a little in inside stuff at bethany the greenbrier not far from wnl um where i got to spend part of my 2020 pandemic doing some work nice area there um it is very nice yeah very nice way too nice i was mm, wow what an experience that was um perfect for a tennis tournament with uh no we're not going there anyway first and foremost uh how did it go for the committee how did it from your perspective how did how did the process work out how did everything work we never really heard from luke as to what time i was getting some messages from you that made me think you guys might have been done around nine us yeah <laughs> no I okay think the, okay i feel I better think then. The, the the men were a little more efficient than we were but i think their games were wrapping up uh oh, they the were. were yeah they were yeah, Bethany. They, they, they were <clears> indeed <throat> so we we had to sit and wait a little while in a couple of regions to do those final regional rankings. Um, so we were a little more delayed than we probably would have liked to have been just, just due to that. But sometimes these things are out of our control. And I will continue to be an advocate for Sunday championships because I think it provides excitement and I like those tournament formats. So hey, listen, I, get uh, I will it, not complain what, about the late finish. Hey, Bethany, there was there was a game that started, I think, at like four and, and maybe have ended around seven. I, I don't know. Just, just one that maybe that you knew right. about. That sounds right. <laughs> Actually, it was funny. Uh, shout out to JJ Nekoloff. He and I talked earlier today, and, and everybody knows. I actually love how the ODAC does it. I just think for the committee's sake and for other people's sake, it, it's 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 a little bit challenging. And I don't think anybody disagrees with that. It's just finding the right way to get it all to work the way you all want to do it. Um, I think the ODAC event is such a unique one. I do enjoy it. And, and we get some amazing results, and that certainly was one of them, with your team involved, which get me – Real quick question, because WNL, your team, not as a coach, but as an administrator, was involved, at least he got the AQ, you could stay involved with that large. Right. We'll pivot to bracketing in a bit, but should we know that you weren't necessarily involved with any of this bracketing stuff, or were they able to find a way because your chair to still work? Right. So there there were parts that where I was involved and parts where I wasn't. So I was part of the bracketing subcommittee. So we did some work in advance Saturday night, which I think we talked about yesterday. Um where you just start working on a shell of who you think some of those seeds seeds will be, who will be hosting. Um, some of that stuff shifted quite a bit, actually, just as we went through 
uh, regional rankings and again looked at who some of those top seeds were going to be. Um, so once we finished regional rankings, we discussed as a full group um, what those top 16 really looked like and, and who could be serving as hosts. And again, we had some con considerations at that point, knowing some people who were going to be hosting on the men's side. Um, and we, again, worked on that shell a little bit. Then the actual bracketing and putting people into pods, I was not, I was not part of that. Then after the fact, once all of that was done, I did work with um, Kelly and Ethan and, and really it was the three of us just working on shifting things around a little bit so that we were working to eliminate flights in some places, looking to project uh, who might be advancing and where they potentially be able to travel. So the three of us did that after the fact, once the pods were set. Got it. Well, that I appreciate was, that was quite a bit later. In the yeah, evening. I appreciate that. At least you weren't fully eliminated from it. That's always my biggest concern is that, especially for a chair, you're fully eliminated from the conversation. When in reality, you're the one who's got probably the most experience or the one who's been diving in the deepest. You shouldn't be fully removed from this conversation when it gets to bracketing, even though your administrative school is involved. I, I, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole of, of the whys and the, and, the, and the details as to what it happens. But at least I know you are still involved. That's good to hear. Um, yeah, and, and, and the people who are doing bracketing are really well experienced. We have a lot of people who've, who've done that for several years now. Um, and so they, the, the group that was involved in putting together those pods, uh, did a really nice job and, you know, they're very, very experienced in kind of the art of, of creating those different pods and being creative with who you're sending where and being cognizant of mileage. Yeah, it certainly makes sense. Um, let's go back to the at large before we go back to bracketing. Um, for the most part, I mean, we're proud that we we got, you know, 21 and 22, which in reality is more than we get in the past because we did have one less AQ. Uh, so we, we got to 21 versus we get stuck at 19 or 20 a lot of time. But that said, um, we're always striving to be perfect. And, and I think that's always a little tough when we get to the end. And we certainly struggled at the end. I don't have my sheet up like I hope to um, ahead of time. I'll, I'll call it up while we're talking here. But... Um, when it came down to the end, what was what was the what were the factors at play that dictated who you ultimately chose? Now I'm going to say it out loud. It seemed like you went with Ohio Wesleyan at the end. I could be wrong, but what were the factors in play that ultimately got you to that decision? I think it's just, honestly it's the same as what we've been talking about the times that we've spoken together on some of the decision making, and it's really the full body of work. And so we had, we had people with some really different resumes, some lower winning percentages, some, you know, mid to high range strength of schedules, a couple of higher winning percentages. And the ranked wins came into play. That was something that we looked at um, quite a bit. And, you know, because that broke up, that was, again, additional data points. Who did they beat? Um, and I guess ranked opponents collectively, excuse me. Um, who did they beat? Who did they lose to? And, and looking at the comprehensive full body of work, and that's ultimately where we landed with some of those uh, decisions of the last couple of teams that we're in. Yeah, it's easy to say to some degree that, that it's the full body of work, and I get that. I think we talked about it a lot. I think we talked about your famed words, quantity and quality. Right. When it came to re results versus region ranked opponents. But I'll be honest. I struggled last night with that adage, not the adage itself, but the idea that a quantity, well, we had a couple of teams who had really high quantities 
Sure. Who we thought were maybe in the conversation, but the quality was poor. Like, hey, great. You played eight regionally ranked opponents. None of them were better than sixth. Right. Then you had another scenario where you had maybe a team, and I'm I'm guessing, I'm going to try and look here real quick. Here's a great team. So one team had eight regionally ranked opponents, four and four against them in our final grouping. Yep. Five was their best win. They averaged five. So fifth out of all the rankings. You get to another one, and I'm going to try and find one that's a little bit more comparable. Uh, another team was one and three. Yep. Oh, no, I'm going to choose a different one. Sorry, that's a bad one. Two and seven. Two and seven. And their best one was a three. A lot of quality, quantity there, but how right. do you really figure out the quality of that quantity? And those are, that's what we really parsed through as a collective group was some of those discussions People advocated for different people for those different reasons. And ultimately, a lot of it came down to a vote. And, and we talked through those different things and what, what all the different pieces are that you're referencing there. We talked about the quantity of wins, who those wins were against, um, what the quality of those wins were. And again, you take it in conjunction with what, what the winning percentages might have been. If you had a couple of really low winning percentages, you know, at what point did people feel okay with a really low winning percentage? What might have allowed us to to get that that team in potentially, or what was holding us back? Similarly, with really low strength of schedule, um, so collectively as a whole, we had people presenting and advocating for different teams. Um, people from those regions, they're knowledgeable about those teams. We've continued to talk about these teams for several weeks now and comparing them head to head in a lot of these different situations. It really was ultimately a, a vote at the end of the day where we had all the information on the table. We, we know how we've been making decisions and people then went and got to vote on who they thought should get in. We should also point out that who ended up in the re- regional rankings at the end made a difference because right. Ohio Wesleyan, we had it at Three and five versus regionally ranked opponents with their best win of two. Right. Um, but on average of four. But we didn't realize Denison had slid in. Right. Now, that isn't a quality, but it added quantity. And that right. probably would have maybe, I, I assume that kind of reshaped, reformed the, 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 the debate for you all. Yes, that contributed to the discussion. And it's, you know, it's something I think Luke likes to say this as much as anybody, that, that the data is, data is constantly evolving. And obviously, we're at a place where the, the data has stopped evolving, right? But even up until that final regional ranking and pushing the stats one last time, that information continues to change with that final ranking. So to your point, yes, the way that those teams ended up in that final, in that final spot as we were comparing them for selections it did change a little bit compared to some of the data that you all had as you were talking through things. And that makes a difference as you're comparing teams at the end. The women have always, I shouldn't say it that way. Apologies. Um, the women for the most part have certainly leaned more towards win loss over the years to a point that maybe it was too hard. Like we were kind of ignoring the rest of the resume. And, and I have noticed in the last, let's say, let's call this the third season, where that has shifted a little bit away. And case in point, Skidmore and Arcadia, both with 815 winning percentages left out of the tournament. Granted, Skidmore with a 518 SOS. That's about the median as we were talking about last night. That said, Arcadia was a 542. I think that gets back to our results versus regional conversation. They were one in three, at least on the data I'm reading here. I, that could be wrong. Right. 
Is that a fair assessment that the win-loss carried a lot of weight for a while maybe, but now it's it, it, it truly is maybe as close as you can make it to a full resume conversation? I would say yes, and I think that's what we're trying to do because we are given this primary criteria that in theory is supposed to all count, you know, to the same... It, it's all supposed to be weighted similarly in the sense that no one category is supposed to count more than another. And so when we have our conversations, and again, it's what we talked about before, the really difficult conversations, we are really intentional and in acknowledging the fact that we need to pay attention to all of the different data. And through different comparisons, sometimes something comes to the forefront more than a different primary criteria. But we're talking about all of them, and that's very intentional. And sometimes when we stray down a path where we're not looking at all of it, we have somebody who brings us back so that we are we are looking at the full body of work. And I think collectively as a, as a committee, we do that really well. We have, just due to the nature of different regions, we have a couple of people who tend to look at look at winning percentage a little bit differently in one region or two regions than a couple of other regions, similarly with the strength of schedule. And that's due to what those those regional makeups tend to be. So we naturally bring to the table when we're having these conversations biases towards one thing or another, just kind of what our regions are. So as a result, we end up being able to talk about the full body of work collectively as a group where everybody's contributing and presenting different information there. You guys didn't have an extreme um, data point where you selected like the men did in Stockton or have in the past, but there was one at the table, at least at our table. I could be wrong, but I think you, Chicago, was at your table. 640 winning percentage. Stockton was a 630. Rochester a 640 last year. 598 SOS. Really, I was actually surprised this year we didn't have gaudy SOS numbers like we've had in the past on the women's side. They seem to be a little bit more, quote unquote, reasonable. Two and nine versus regionally ranked opponents. Is a team like you, Chicago, getting a serious conversation at your table? I.e., would we see an uh, an at large pick like that? That's more off the uh, the data point spectrum, as it were. Um, or is this women's committee pretty set with where they are at this point? It, it was certainly discussed. Um, all all the teams that were in the table continued to be discussed. Again, some rose to the top more than others. And you you look at the information you just presented on a team like Chicago, and they did have some extremes compared to some of the other teams that we were looking at, both for the good and for the bad, right? And so, again, that's where at what point is something too extreme? And those were the conversations that we had as we compared them to some other teams. I'm not sure without anybody giving specific questions where we could go any further on that. You know, missing only one doesn't make me feel too bad. And I did have Ohio Wesleyan written down. So I feel vindicated myself, even though it doesn't really count. It's like horseshoes and grenades. It's close. Just doesn't count. Um, that and, and, and listen, I'll, I'll say this much. I, I know we could all talk about transparency and, and talk about details and last four in, last four out, if you want to give that. And I'm dead serious. You know, we've had that from committee members, but... I do appreciate that I, I like the men's committee and I think they do well. I just don't, the extreme sometimes I think is jarring and it feels like the women's committee, as much as you've shifted a little bit, you're still within the middle. Right. I don't know. I, I could have that wrong. I could be chastised by the guys later about it, but I want to pivot to bracketing a bit because it felt sure. like bracketing certainly was a little bit more of a challenge. First off, obviously you've got the men with priority and we knew that was right. going to be a factor for NYU. But there were a couple other things that jumped out at me that kind of that uh, 
it didn't shock me, but it was more like, oh, I'm, I'm wondering what the brain, you know, the thought was. So let's start with NYU. They're the upper left. You seem to be treating right. them as the top team in the in the entire thing. Right. You're sending them to DeSales. There's a gut. There's one reaction, and I know I've gotten it from a few who are like, what the heck? You know, DeSales was in the top 16 10 days ago, and they 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 all they did was win. Why aren't they hosting without having a behemoth like NYU? We kind of looked at it and saw there was a lot of factors elsewhere, but what? Let, let's start just on the base of it, and I'll go to the factors later that I think were there that got you putting NYU at the sales. So the top 16 was 10 days ago, a week and a half ago, and there's been a lot of stuff that's happened since then. And we go through the exercise once we finish our regional rankings of creating, and we actually created a top 20, knowing that we need to potentially go a little bit deeper because the men's have, pri- had, have priority for hosting. And so we go through and we, we had those discussions again. Those discussions don't look the exact same as they did a week and a half ago for a wide variety of reasons. And, you know, you go back and you just take one team in isolation, oh, woo, and what the resume is based on some teams being ranked. And in a very short span of time, the resume shifts a little bit. And there are plenty of teams that had entered into our top 16 that were not, not plenty, but there are some teams that have entered into our top 16 that were not present 10 days ago when we had those conversations. And so, you know, again, I think we were very explicit when we put out the top 16 that that's an exercise and that the data continues to evolve. And what is produced 10 days days ago is not still present now, right now, as we're putting out selections. So if people are relying on what was present 10 days ago to make judgments on the ways that people were placed, um, that's being based on data that, that is now outdated. And we had new data that we're using to provide the different seeds as we were looking at bracketing. One of the arguments I've also pointed out is even when a team is not playing, their SOS is changing, their results versus routine rank could be changing. The only thing that's not changing is their win-loss percentage um, because they're not playing. That said, it still felt a little jarring. And and, and here were were the factors that I thought we thought were in play. First, you lost a host to Texas. You you, you guys decided to have a, a pod in Texas, so you lost a host down there. Um, that's one team in that top 16 who's likely not going to host. The second thing we noticed was there were a lot, a lot of teams in the Midwest Ohio area that you needed to get kind of bracketed up, and that may have cost another host. And i.e., I, there may be someone in that grouping that wouldn't have hosted otherwise. And as a result, you didn't have a lot of teams, I think, like we're used to in this kind of mid Atlantic region. It felt like we were light, per se. Like, um, to quote somebody else about another team, they're like, you know, we're used to being used to, to fill in the more southern area, and we got shipped north because we got to fill in an area further away. Was Were those at play? Because I will admit, NYU DeSales jumped out at me initially. as like, ooh, that's, that's a big, you know, first weekend scenario there. Were there other ideas to try and lessen the impact of a potential second round game or were, were those the problems you were having everywhere? So, you know, as you're going through, you've got to look at all the different pieces and there's a lot of pieces. Um, 
Proximity is one thing when we're trying to look at where we're placing somebody who's unable to host. Um, there's discussions of different places that people could go that we could put um, in, in the two that were present were NYU and Catholic, different locations where we could send them. And there were different distances that they could be sent. Ultimately, the decision that, that we came up with was based on closer proximity. Um, and and trying to maintain somebody's trying to maintain the seating that we put together, which again, the seating is something we're using internally to try and create the brackets, right? And so we're piecing all of these things together in a manner that it works. Mileage is part of this. Mileage makes it very challenging in terms of trying to come come together with the different seeds and all of these different people who we we've designated as worthy of being hosted hosts for those first and second rounds and, and, and piecing those those things together. So that probably doesn't give you exactly what you want, but there's a lot of different considerations going into it. And, and so that's ultimately how we landed there. Yeah, by the way, you hinted at something I'm going to get to. I appreciate it. I, I wrote it down. Thank you. We'll get there. Sure. If other people picked up on it, see if you were really listening. Um, the proximity thing I think is interesting. So it's I think it's that listen you're willing to use the 500 miles when you're bracketing in general right but when it comes to shifting an institution who cannot host for reasons that are like their men are hosting sure. you do want to keep it close i'm getting that right so so that's the scenario where you're going to try and be at least reasonably close for them right okay and obviously close to nyu is new pulse trinity Scranton to sales, none of them are ideal in the second round to begin with. Um, it did feel like you gave to sales at least a, a you know, I, I, in my argument, I think you're giving to sales an advantage because if they're playing NYU in the second round, it's better in the second round at their place than in the third round at NYU. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying sure. that that's a bad decision. I'm saying if anything, this can play into sales's favor. Some people could argue that, sure. And, and, yeah. and again, this is the challenge of not having priority that first weekend when we've got people who are not able to host. You have to put them somewhere. You want to acknowledge that they have had a very successful season. There's a whole lot of other people on this bracket where we're probably having a really similar conversation if they're sitting where the sales is right now. And that's the reality of the competitiveness of the field, you know? So as you're looking at the seating again, and, and people can have their opinions on who an easier opponent might be in a second round game, but you look at what a lot of these second round games could be, and you, you, you can go tit for tat on some different teams being slotted in. And I'd make an argument that there's a whole lot of really competitive second round games that are going to be taking place four top seeds as well. No, I, I agree with you. The, the, the second round, we started looking around. It, I was talking to somebody else about this. Christopher Newport, Johns Hopkins, potentially. Obviously, you got to play these first round games. Catholic right. WNL. Um, uh, there's there's a bunch. I mean, Bowden, what, Western New England, it doesn't feel like a, a traditional spot you would put against a team like Bowden in that. But then Dartmouth... <laughs> Mass Dartmouth, New Jersey City on the other side. Baldwin Wallace for Trinity, Connecticut. And New Paltz has got Penn State, Harrisburg. Yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting ones in there. Quickly, uh, Texas Pod. First off, 
you shipped Millsaps out, which was fascinating. That one jumped out at me immediately. Um, what I said on air on the NCA broadcast because I thought it was it's an inside baseball that I thought was interesting. If you had the games at UMBC, you sh- you drive Millsaps there or not UMBC? Sorry, Baltimore for reference there. Mary Hart and Baylor, uh, you would have slid. Millsaps there because they're within busing, but Harden Simmons it isn't. It felt like you wanted to respect Harden Simmons to some degree if you could get the flight and let them host that pod instead of going to Mary Harden Baylor and shipping Millsaps in. That's correct. Figured as much. I, I knew I was kind of loading that one up to be a very simple answer. <laughs> that and, that all said, and and, and, and I will say this, uh, Dave, as we sit here and talk about the Texas pod. I heard you ask Luke earlier um, if he if he asked any questions and was told no. And we did oh, ask questions. There. We did ask questions and we were told no. And and we understand why. We understand the charge and the directives that were given. We provided, in my opinion, some very convincing arguments for why we wanted to advocate for one additional flight. And given some of the parameters, which again, we understand we were, we were not permitted to have an additional flight and that's okay. That's also, that's also the reality. And we did our due diligence in asking and, you know, Northwest. That's okay. We'll continue. I, I won't, I won't go into the details, but I will say we were told no. Oh, come on, Bethany. That's the best part. The details. I know you can tell us no one's listening. It's just us. No? Okay. Uh, I'll cheat. I know there are questions asked. Um, interesting. Um, but to the point, you, you flew. So the Texas pod stayed there. You were able to fly Millsaps somewhere else, which allowed Harden-Simmons to host. As you point out, that was the priority. You flew two Northwest schools to Wisconsin. This, 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 the... Um, Witty question to you is, are they both going to take a charter at the same, are they going to take the same charter together? (laughs) That's an NCAA question. I don't know the answer to that. (laughs) And honestly, I wasn't in the room when those conversations were taking place um, about sending them there. I I do know, again, I said this the last time we talked and I'll say this again, Megan Wilson's mission was to make this a very creative bracket. And she was one of several folks who were in there working on the bracketing and putting those pods together. Um, and I think I think they did a great job. I think that there's some creativity in where people are being sent and um, some things that, as you're referencing, aren't, aren't typically done. And so are they chartering together? I don't know. Maybe they'll explore that. Maybe you, you planted a seed for them to, to travel together. I'm sure they'd really enjoy that. That may not end well. Puget Sound and Willamette on the same plane to and fro um by the way we should point out um that was one of the at-larges we should have talked about was willamette there's it's not that long ago where the national committee would not have considered them um because the win-loss percentage just didn't look right and i'm being generic there the fact that they didn't they didn't play a full d3 schedule this might be one of the rare occasions where that didn't hurt a team. Now, they certainly did their due diligence with everything else and had some good resume builders in there, but that that's a significant at-large pick here with Willamette. Did, did you all kind of appreciate that? Yeah, we talked about them for a long time when they were on the board and, and what their resume was. And, you know, you look at 
some of their uh, VRRO data, and they've got quite a few ranked opponents that they played. Um, so to your point, they did not play a full Division three schedule. We understand that there are some location hindrances there, right? At the same time, it's very apparent that they did their due diligence in going and playing a Division three schedule, um, probably, I would imagine, to the best of their ability. There, there was effort there. They played ranked opponents. Um, and we talked about those things. And again, when we're comparing them to other teams, you're, you're not, you discuss those things, but that's not necessarily impacting your decision. You're looking at their data just like anybody else um, and c- making those comparisons. Back to the bracket, the thing that if anybody didn't pick up on, I said it on air because I couldn't figure it out. When I looked at this grouping, the where you ha- technically where the at was located legitimately could have been WNL. The way brackets are done. You look at some of these others, uh, Oshkosh, for example, is at the at slot with the Webster Gustavus Delphus trying uh, grouping. But it does feel like this is supposed to be Catholics. And what you said a moment ago makes me think this was supposed to be a Catholic move to WNL because the men are hosting a Catholic. Is that the right interpretation? That is correct. That's fascinating um, because the way WNL finished the season and Catholic lost, I think there was a legitimate thought because i know when we looked at the top 16s two weeks ago i reached out to wnl i don't know if they told you um they did not to get some content from them because i i thought there was a chance they could be in the top 16 so i could see them winning out their hosting and catholic losing in the conference title game missed out so that one kind of felt like a more subtle move uh to some degree but what was the conversation around that understanding fully that you likely weren't part of the full conversation (laughs) Right. So, again, sending Catholics somewhere in a general proximity um, was something that was important. And again, trying to find the right pair of, of another seed where you can pair them together. It, it's tricky. It's really tricky when you've got schools who can't host. Um, so, yes, Catholic is being treated as the top seed in that pod. Team like Webster, 27-0, get the automatic bid, so we don't have to worry about at-large conversations. I have a scary feeling that we would have been talking about a one-loss team who didn't make it um, if that had played out, just because of the way it kind of was situated. But that said, they are playing Oshkosh. And I know that parts of their resume are not strong. And I do know, and we talked to them, scheduling needs to improve outside of their conference if anyone's going to take them seriously. That said, it's Oshkosh. Like, it, it felt like they were being treated as almost one of the bottom teams despite being undefeated. Is, is that a tricky kind of slot to be in where the optics can sometimes be more glaring than what the criteria really is saying? I think that's probably fair. And again, our job is to look at the criteria that have been designated as primary criteria. And a team like Webster, obviously, they've had a a remarkable season going undefeated. Um, Their strength of schedule is low. And in the majority of these comparisons, that's all that we have to go on. Um, 
from what I can recall, and and I don't think this has changed. Um, they haven't. Uh, they do not have any V VRRO, and so in that criteria, there's nothing present for those comparisons. Um, so it is challenging sometimes with the team when you have some of that limited data in the primary criteria. I'm trying to get to that. Uh, they're in region. They're in eight. Eight. Thank you. Brain freeze there. Uh, it's been a day. I'm, I'm literally calling that up because that's a great point. They, they may not have had any results versus because, no, they didn't. 477 SOS of the 495 non-conference SOS. And we've talked to them about that. Sure. Um, what were other challenges? You said you were denied the flight. I'm still waiting for you to give us that information. Um, but what what other challenges? Did they look out to the second weekend and go, Phew, come on, uh, this is going too far at any point in time? Or, because it does feel like the second weekends with both committees, have the reins have come off a little bit. You know, I, I think one of the things that's that presents some challenges is you have top seeds. You want to try and... and create situations where those top seeds will have opportunities to host because they have earned that for the second weekend should they advance. And so we've got, we've got some, some geographic proximity situations there with some top seeds where it's somewhat limiting. Um, that presents some challenges. So we knew that we were probably going to have to have some flights Regardless, and we tried to be strategic in minimizing what that would be. Um, you know, depending on what kind of upsets happen or don't happen, we'll see how some of that shakes out. Um, but that was some of the discussion that we had as we looked, you know, teams that could advance to that second weekend and what that would look like in terms of trying to preserve hosting opportunities for for some of those top seeds. Uh Luke mentioned on, you know, sometimes they look at the bracketing, they take a bit of an historical tact with it. You know, this was a matchup that should have happened in 2020. Not that they go out of their way to make that happen where the criteria doesn't match, but they do find some creative ideas. Was there any conversations with the subcommittee or others that said, hey, listen, we've got the potential of having this matchup. This would be great for these reasons or this matchup because it's a, it's a rematch of something or, or whatever. With, with the subcommittee, we did not have those discussions. The subcommittee, we it was more kind of putting together the framework for hosts and some of the and again this year who could not host and what some of those things might look like. Um, so the subcommittee did not discuss that when they were doing and when they were putting some of the pods together. I'm not sure if those conversations happened or not. Um, and the conversations that I've had over time, I don't recall a lot of those discussions of, you know, things that should or shouldn't have happened historically. Um, so I, I don't think that's quite as present on our side as it is on the men's side. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I was just kind of curious. Uh, anybody that you wanted to host that didn't put in their paperwork that you had to kind of deal with? Nope. Well, that's a good sign. We're, it seems like more and more realizing that. Any any flags yet for the second weekend, potentially, that you already know are coming that, that you're going to have to work around? I don't think so. I think that we feel pretty good about uh, where things could go. And we have plenty of people who put in bids for the second weekend for hosting, which is um, obviously helpful. And we'll see how things shake out to see who does or does not advance and, and what those ho hosting opportunities could look like. 
back to the NYU CUA conversation about hosting and proximity, et cetera. This question um, I'm going to ask because I think it comes from a different perspective on it. You seem to send the women's committee in general, even the men's committee in general, seem to send a, a host, as you said, proximate, but also to what would be, quote unquote, a two seed in that pod. We would argue that in the NYU pod and in the CUA pod, they're at the two seed, the second best team in the group. Which means technically you could argue there's a bit of a home court advantage in the second round should both be playing in that game. Were there any three or four seeds that you considered sending them to so that it's more of a three, four who's hosting, who has to just fight to get out of the first round to begin with? When, when I was in bracketing subcommittee discussions, we did not have those discussions. Again, when I left for some of that bracketing part, if they had those discussions, I'm not sure. In general, is that a conversation you all have? Instead of sending to a two, you would send to a three or a four so that if they're playing in that second round, they've essentially had an upset to earn their way there. Does that does that make more sense? I understand what you're saying. Yes, I understand what you're saying. I understand the logic behind what you're saying. Um, it is my understanding that historically it has been the, the quote-unquote two seed that is where is where the top seed is sent. And I understand the logic for advocating for something different. Um, I'm not necessarily saying that's right or wrong. Um, and I'm sure there's plenty of people who would would want to debate that. Um, I, I, I could debate myself into a circle, Bethany. I, I think sure. our guys have had one adage. I've been on that side of the fence, then I've switched sides and I've come back. I could literally go and eat. I could I could literally argue myself into that one. Um, I think there's I think there's pros and cons to both sides. Of it. Sure. I was just curious. It was related to a question that we got. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate you at least uh, humoring me, as it were. Um, I, I don't want to keep you any longer. I know you had a long day, long trip, long weekend, all of that. Um, I, I don't know where else in the weeds we could dive. I, I did talk to Luke, uh, maybe off air more. I would love to debrief at some point, um, maybe even in, a, in an offseason podcast and talk about the challenges you all face. Um, when, when it's a little bit more of a, a clearer understanding or even when you don't have to worry about some aspects of the of the job, as it were. Um, but that said, what is it about this bracket, the at-large selections, et cetera, that either we haven't touched on or you feel is important for everyone to fully understand, especially after this weekend? I think that it's important to know that there are restrictions based on these travel pieces. And that can make things really challenging um, of, you know, you can want to send somebody somewhere and with the trickle down of all the different travel logistics and and mileage restrictions, it impacts a lot of decisions. And similarly, the charge from upper administration at the NCAA is to try and restrict flights when you can. And that, you know, in a, we, we've tried to avoid as many of those potential situations as we can. Depending on who wins and loses, that may create some really challenging situations where it impacts who's hosting. Um, and, and that's the reality of some of the charge uh, from the NCAA where some of these things are out of our control. And again, you know, we are not employees of the NCA, so it's it's easy for us to try and put together a convincing argument for why 
we would like to advocate for an additional flight or something along those lines. And for a couple of years now, our group on the women's side, and I can't speak to, to the men's side, I would imagine they feel similarly. There's times we feel very strongly about the need for having one additional flight to either try and protect a top seed or to try and get a little more creative with the, with the bracketing to avoid matchups that happen a little more regularly. Um, and understandably, the NCAA, you know, if they set a precedent with one exception, that's then going to be applied to baseball and softball and soccer and football. And there's a trickle down and that trickle down has significant financial implications. So I understand why they turned us down. And when we're not employees of the NCAA, it's very easy to say, no, you can't do that. Right. Um, and, and, and I respect their decision. And, and I understand that at the same time, I'm really excited that we have some additional funds coming in to n- not this year. And when I said, we've got more money now, as we're trying to, to talk through this, they said this year, we do not have more money next year. We'll have some more money. And so as we're having discussions about ways to use additional funds when it comes to championships, you know, our group continues to advocate for additional flights because we think it's really valuable to the student athlete experience, to the competitiveness of the field, to try to move people around a little bit. Um, and, and there are some limitations to that right now, which we don't have control over. And the NCAA is making fiscally responsible decisions, which I understand. So um, to that end, we're excited and hopeful for the future that maybe we're allowed uh, an additional flight or two when we feel like it will really value the, the quality of the tournament. Bethany, to that end, men will be hosted at NYU, which is great to see. Something's been worked out to at least allow that to happen. We know there's, you know, it's not been easy in the past. I, obviously, you were looking to do it in the women's side, uh, I would argue, from the way the bracket is set up, and potentially you'll be there next weekend um, unless something comes up that we are not aware of. Um How's the movement coming along, if there is any at all, to the idea that on the per diem side of Division Three, talking about more costs, that maybe the per diem needs to be handled differently when you're in certain markets because the per diem that works great in uh, Wartburg ain't going to work so well in Chicago, L.A., Atlanta, et cetera. Right. I think that's one of the challenges, and I, I don't think there's a great resolution for that right now. And I think we've talked about this briefly previously. And I know the champs committee is in active discussions about this and ways that maybe funds can be subsidized in some capacity for teams that are traveling to some of these high cost cities due to significantly more expensive lodging, food, other factors. And that's at the same time, that's not the fault of the host institution. That's just due to the nature of what that city is. And so they can't really be faulted for that. At the same time, it does present a challenge for institutions who may be traveling there and have to incur those additional costs. Um, I'm excited to see what the Champs Committee comes up with as they continue discussing it because it has been acknowledged as a challenge and a problem. Um, And I think there are active discussions to try and, and work to help the situation when institutions are traveling to those high cost locations. As long as they're not paying for pairwise and, you know, allowing, uh, allow that to happen. Great. If they shoot it down just cause they want to shoehorn pairwise in, then I might have a problem with that. Sorry. Went a little inside baseball there. Um, Bethany, appreciate the time. 
Um, I will not ask if a gentleman with the last name Arnoli contacted you about where Gettysburg was playing. There's an inside joke there you can tune into the, uh, to my next segment about. Uh, but for those who, who know the joke, they're probably laughing at home that I brought it up. Um, hey, again, thank you for the time. I, I know you've had a long weekend, so uh, I hope you get some rest. I hope WNL is not expecting you back in at full force tomorrow. Um, that wouldn't be fair. But in the meantime, we always give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuned in? Yeah, absolutely. First, thanks for all you do, Dave. Thanks for uh, all the folks who come on to your show and um, promote Division Three women's basketball and men's basketball. I think that um, the equity and attention given to both sports is really impressive and really appreciated by a lot of people. Um, I want to thank everybody on, on the national committee everybody on the racks, a lot of time and effort was put in and, you know, you've got, you've got the racks getting up early on Sunday mornings. And I know one was working really late on Saturday nights, trying to, to finalize rankings. And, um, it's, it's been well established that there is no sort of financial compensation for these jobs, but people are passionate about trying to do what's best, uh, in terms of promoting the sport, working to, to better the sport, provide these regional rankings and, provide really positive student athlete experiences. Our, our national committee is fantastic. You know, we, we have to spend a lot of time together and um, I, I probably shouldn't say we have to, we get to spend a lot of time together and it's a lot of work, but we have a really good time and it, it's a, a great crew of people. Um, the people from the past previous years, as well as everybody who we have now. And so, so a lot of thanks to that group for all the time and effort. It's been some long days and, um, the fun stuff is coming up where we get to get together and put on a championship event. And I know we're all really excited about that. Um, and, and we do the best we can with what we're given, the parameters we're given to try and put together what we think is a really competitive bracket and field. And we're doing that to the best of our ability. Um, and so I want to thank everybody on that committee for the time and effort. Kelly and Ethan at the NCAA, there's, there's a lot of really great people trying to do positive work to promote positive student-athlete experiences, um, and, and hopefully that continue to be the focus, whether win, winning or losing. Obviously, only one team's left standing at the end, but all the institutions who are hosting, all the site reps, there's a lot of people who are putting time in to, to provide the best experience possible, and so thanks to all of those folks who are invested in continuing to promote uh, Division Three women's basketball. Well said. I agree entirely. Uh, thank you again for your time. We'll talk soon, I'm sure. I uh, wish I could be in Columbus. I'm saying if you alternated it Thursday and played Friday, Sunday, I would have been more than willing to drive back and forth from Fort Wayne to Columbus all weekend long. That's something to think about. I'll, uh, just, I'll pitch that idea, okay? Yeah, that and the dual championship. That's my other big one. I think we got to do duels now. I think we can make this work. Just a I thought. Think, I think the dual championship is an intriguing idea. I'm excited about potentially exploring that down the road. I would love to be a part of advocacy for that. So let me know. Absolutely. Uh, Bethany, take care. Great chatting with you again. I know we'll be talking down the road as we always do, but uh, I'll look forward to catching up with you down the road and on air at wherever we do. But thank you again. Sounds great. Thanks, Dave. See you, Bethany. Bethany Danley joining us here on the Hoopsville Hotline. Great to have her. By the way, the quick little story there about the Arnoli thing. Elena Arnoli is a sophomore at Gettysburg. Um, She's phenomenal player, by the way. A young team there at Gettysburg. Her twin sister plays at Brown. Brown, I think, is hosting the Ivy League championships. If No, I don't have that right. 
Uh, they're at, but Brown's at, at is playing at home this weekend. Is what I'm trying to get at. So interesting enough, Georgetown's going to Rhode Island. They're going to be down the street from um, the you know from Brown. There's what maybe Arnoli's called the the championships committee said. Listen, be awesome. Send Gettysburg to Rhode Island. Then the two sisters can see each other play. Works out perfect. I'm just saying, maybe that was the idea, or maybe it wasn't. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, our experts and pundits join us live here on the show. You're watching the Hoops Will Breakdown special. Uh, thanks to our friends at D3Hoops.com, Sport Tours International, and the NABC. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's nearly 850 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over two decades. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Coach of the Year, Administrator of the Year, All-America Team, Wade Trophy. The WBCA doesn't just honor coaches, but players, administrators, and much more. The WBCA strives to honor those who have contributed to the advancement of women's basketball. Celebrate the present, honor the past, look to the future. I used to never really talk, ever. I was scared and shy. It was hard to look at people's faces. I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. I made friends and won lots of gold medals. But I learned more than just playing golf. Special Olympics helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. Division three allows you to give yourself to other things. Having that free time allows me to pursue the things that I want to pursue. Division three athletics affords students the opportunity to, you know, engage in the other interests in their campus and in their lives outside of that sport. It allows you to just be able to do everything you want to do. I wouldn't change it for the world. We are calling you. All of you. We are calling all Division III schools to join our cause. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division III. 
It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go on a personal trainer and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being. The National Association of Basketball Coaches is the nation's premier professional development and advocacy organization for basketball coaches at every level. The NABC strives to serve as the voice for coaches on national issues while advancing the core value of leadership, service, advocacy, education, and inclusion. To learn more about the NABC and to become a member, visit nabc.com and follow the NABC on social media at NABC1927. That's nabc.com or NABC1927 on social media. Something I discovered in myself is that if I have a goal, then I can accomplish it. It's a well-rounded experience. At a Division III school, you're primarily a student-athlete, so the school is really shaped around you developing yourself as a complete individual. It helps a lot that you have a family with your team that can guide you. Welcome back to Hoops, everybody. Is uh, bracket breakdown special comes up to its final segment as we will uh, get our experts on to talk about it all. Um, yeah, that's all I got. We'll tweet it out in a second, so we'll waste a little time. Go right back to the Hoopsville hotline. Oh, I got to change my camera shot. No one wants to see that. Apparently, I didn't change that one. Well, you know, it's because the camera shuts down and it just decides to do its own thing or. Something along those lines. But join us on the Hoopsville Hotline. It is Pat Coleman and Ryan Scott. Gentlemen, good to see you. It's like I've seen you a lot recently, uh, even if it has been from afar. Um, first and foremost, listen, there's lots of things we can nitpick. There's lots of things we can um, extrapolate and try and blow up and, and find fault in because I think half that's our role. Um I, I keep reminding myself, Pat, especially that we, we've come a long way with this system. <laughs> come a long way from at larges. We've come a long way with bracketing, and and we obviously push to keep making it better and better and better. But sometimes I have to check myself even and go, you know what? It's still far better than where where we used to be. 
Oh, Dave, and if I were wearing the other colored shirt today, uh, I would remind you that just because we have it right now in Division Three men's basketball does not mean that good quality at-large picking and good quality bracketing sticks around. I can tell you from the football perspective that I really hope that the uh, – you know, the, the, ch the chair and the members of that committee have been watching all of these conversations that you've been having with the national chairs over the past uh, week and a half, two weeks, because uh, they are just clearly not on the same page. And it's to the detriment of that sport. We should be thankful for what we have, as I think basically echoing what you're saying, Dave, we should be thankful for what we have, even if it's not perfect. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, the whole purpose of our role is certainly to just make sure that we continue how we want to see it and whether we're right or wrong we have those conversations with others and adjust our perspectives certainly but you know i'm happy to say the women have adjusted to a place where i think they're in a nice little sweet spot with that large picks for the most part and bracketing i i, I understood the premise i love that megan wilson just had a mission and she had a she was going for it she got denied one flight which as i understand it would have had a tremendous little ripple effect that I think would have been bonkers. Um, and I think, listen, I don't I don't know where that flight was, but I'm guessing they didn't love the Texas pod, but they still at least respected Harden-Simmons to some degree to not ship Millsaps in there, right? But again, yeah, I mean, what could happen? Next year we get committees that completely see differently and, and backtrack. We haven't had that track record with basketball, but I, I totally understand what you're saying. I totally do. Right, I mean... We had uh, we 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 had some slight slide backs and then some really good recovery, and uh, you know hopefully that happens. I, I think uh, it's good to see Bethany Danley kind of picking up on what the Meg Wilson uh, crew in that bracket, um, you know, did. And happy to see, yeah, like when I mean Millsap's name is called on that show, Dave, as you know, is the second name in that bracket uh, uh, in the women's bracket, and I was very happy about that because. That you know had the ripple effect that that meant that uh, we did not have to host that bracket that little pod at Mary Harden Baylor out of Texas that you could give it to the more deserving team overall and uh, you know uh, that sort of thing I, I I was very happy about that I was happy to see obviously you know indeed having a California pod in the men's bracket and one you know that does not also include where am I here you know that. Uh, you know, that, that brings in a team from Texas, obviously. So you, you've got that. Um, and you bring in a team like Nebraska Wesleyan into the Texas pod in uh, in the men's bracket as well. Obviously, that's something you could have done from just about anywhere. And you kind of deftly break up those four ARC teams by sending one of them to Texas. I, there, are, there are certainly places to talk about, you know, how teams are paired up in this bracket. And I know there's an entire podcast that... If you want to watch uh, a show about that, uh, you know, the D3 Datacast folks have uh, some thoughts to say about that. And, you know, I, not to then pivot and kind of throw it into the next topic, but I'm going to tag off Ryan because I've been doing all the talking um, and see if we can, uh, you know, maybe kind of dive into that just a smidge too. Well, I was just going to say when Millsaps came up, I mean, that's already getting one flight more than was required to meet the the standards that they have for the bracketing right so that's already the ncaa allowing them a flight more than is required which you know in many years was just a no-no like you had to use the minimum number of flights regardless of what it meant um 
And so that was already a, a, a big deal. And I should say, we mentioned it a little bit last night on the bracket show. Like this, the geography of this year's women's bracket was insanely difficult. Um, and I can't, I, I was, I just, Pat, I can tell you last night, I was very worried given some of the lack of creativity we've seen from the women's committee in the past at how bad this bracket was going to be. But this is tremendous. I think given the constraints, uh, I don't think that they could have done better with with what is put out there and what is required and and all of the constraints we have in D3. Like I know there will be complaints, but like I was I was tremendously impressed with that. Um and even the selections, right? I mean the fact that the women put a team like Willamette in is not something that would have happened in previous years. Um, you know, given their win loss and and kind of where they were and and what that schedule looked like. You know, I I just feel like that we're getting the things that we've been advocating for and working for in these, in these brackets. And I think on the men's side, you know, there's a couple little things like you said to nitpick, but this is a very fair and even bracket, especially given the criteria we've got. I, I'm, I don't have a lot of complaints today. No, I'm talking I about Scott Peterson, by the way, as well. Go ahead, Pat. I was just going to say, yes, welcome, Scott. I have not watched every single post on X today. I've seen, you know, hundreds, maybe even a thousand of them. Uh, but what I have not really seen is some of the things that we usually see this time of year talking about how unbalanced a bracket is, you know, that one bracket is easier to get through than the other, that sort of thing. Am I missing something along those lines, gentlemen? The women's bracket you know, looks really balanced, pod to pod, quadrant to quadrant, and side to side, just really, really spread out. Nothing, you know, you might nitpick a couple matchups in a row here and there, but a lot of that, you can see why it's driven. Yeah. I, I, listen, I couldn't dive into Twitter nearly as much as I normally do either. Um, but I, I wasn't getting tagged on things or like, what the heck there, you know, I've only got a couple of that were like, well, their ranking was this and I, you know, okay. Um, but yeah, it feels like maybe a little bit more understanding. I don't, who knows why, Maybe it's because the committees, the people are starting to understand this a little bit better. People are better educated about it. Um, I'd be fascinated to, to hear all the particulars maybe, but yeah, I think I think it was better understood. I think just to give the plug for Scott and Matt and Drew and everybody who's putting out rankings throughout the year that don't just reflect the top 25, um, but, but reflect what the actual data shows about where they are. I think a lot more fans, especially the ones who are online and see those, our understanding of how the process works and where they rank as the season goes along instead of what it used to be, which was just a surprise uh, in selection time to say, oh, my team is number seven in the country. Why am I you know, not even hosting anything? Um, I think people do have a better understanding because we've got these, these rankings out on a more consistent basis and they can ask the questions in December and January instead of in March. Possibly. I mean, we still have people who just jump in now and and may have missed all that stuff, too. But you have a valid point. I I think that's an interesting perspective to consider, too. It's a longer conversation than it used to be. It does seem like fewer than last year. I don't have the same length of experience as the rest of you do. But like, I think Loris is deservedly disappointed today, but you could see that they were right on the bubble. You know, they were not definitely in. They were not definitely out. And uh, whereas in past years, maybe you feel like, oh, we're definitely in. And you just don't have the knowledge of where you stand. Yeah, I think seeing, and I know I'm kind of repeating what's been said, but I'm going to reiterate it because I think it's important. Seeing P3 
people like you, Scott, people like Drew Pasture, people like um, Matt and uh, Zach and people like Bob Clemen put out their kind of pecking orders of what the Pool C candidates look like at any given time really is a good kind of primer for people to know, you know, where they are on the bubble. Frankly, you know, once upon a time, we had, what, seven at-large bids because we had a 48 or a 50-team tournament. And, you know, you were either in the tournament or almost everybody was on the bubble. Um, you know, these days we get to the point where we can kind of buy acclimation. You guys can put in nine men's teams or 10, 10, 10 men's teams and nine or 10 women's teams as pool C's right off the top of the show without having to debate them. And, and that's, and you know, and, and then, and then the rest of it still has a logical kind of breakdown and order. And we can talk about bubble in and bubble out and, we can talk about last four in and first four out, even if uh, the people who know this information are not going to talk about it. Um, hopefully more people are reading everything that is being said. And uh, yeah, maybe it is making the landscape better. It certainly made my day better to not have to deal with people complaining about it all day. And not one single person that I saw blamed D3hoops.com for their placement in the bracket or their lack of placement in the bracket. And I was very happy about that. It certainly was always our fault. I think we spent the whole 2010s and most of the aughts defending ourselves against those things. Yes. We got one more coming. Go ahead. It's, it's not that hard a topic to dive into the weeds on some of these things. I, I think there were some that were worth conversation. You know, we, we talked a little bit of Luke about how Stockton got in. Um, I'm going to be completely honest. As much as I heard his answer, I'm going to have to go back and listen in more detail again because it didn't retain because I did talk to him about five six hours ago. Oh, yeah. yeah. Five and a half, six hours ago. Um. I do worry a little bit that the conversation of you don't have to have a great winning percentage if you played a really gaudy schedule and didn't necessarily prove anything with it is uh, is acceptable to a to teams that can't do that. Um, I, I think maybe some of the vitriol is out there because. It's Stockton, to be honest. Um, I don't know. It, it also Is this flies in the face. The Jack hasn't performed as well in the tournament in the last no, because years. Or? To some, maybe they don't live up to the same standards that others think that our NCAA oh. tournament teams. I see. Um, I, I I worry that. It's interesting because everyone's talking about how the UAA has all these wins against regionally ranked opponents, and here's ODAC, and here's the NJAC, and they've got a lot of wins against regionally ranked opponents, and they're only in one region. So I, I think that argument is a mute point. But I do worry about you get some schools that just are not going to be able to schedule, even if they tried their hardest, especially year in and year out. Maybe every two years, maybe every four years, they can go and make a big trip to get some really challenging opponents. I do worry as we get to a budgeting tightening world of schools that at large bids are going to go to those who can afford to go get them. I, 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 I still have a concern about that. 
it's more of an administrative question, right? Like you're not really wanting a men's or women's basketball committee to try to make up for that. That might like trying to read the criteria in a way to make up for an inequity of accessibility to pool C bids that just exists. Right. Right. I mean, that's what I was going to say is, so there's a, there's a fact about Stockton being in. And one of that is, they are largely in because they beat Keene State in November, right? Well, Rowan's lost. Rowan's in. wins should be counted there too. But yes, Keene okay, State's. But certainly one helped. of those was before Christmas, so two out of those three big wins happened in. I think it was November. I think it was the the Tuesday before Thanksgiving that that Stockton played Rowan for the first time. Um, and so this is a reality. And the question we have to ask, like the championships committee and the people are putting in, do we want games in November? And we know we want all of them to count, but do we want those being the deciding factor? Um, I don't I don't take a position on that, but that's the reality of what happened in this situation. Um, and I think you've also got some things that are so the one thing I realized today, you know, uh Illinois Wesleyan's case was the win over Wash U, which um they suffered a pretty big injury in the middle of the year that cost them three to four wins. And if they had three to four wins more, Wash U's the victory over Washu was more impressive than Illinois Wesley or than uh than the victory over Keene, right? Like there's some there's some things that are out of the hands of either of these teams that are coming down to make these decisions, which to me really does say, as Scott said, like this is an administrative decision. This is which criteria are we using, not so much how we're using it, but like what are we putting out there and what is it actually reflecting? Um, and so that's where I think like Matt and Zach talked a lot about trying to do something about like you know, record against a top 75 or even using something that that puts into a factor something later in the season. Um, and there's arguments for and against that. But what this really comes down to is not what the committee's doing. They're just applying the criteria. It's whether the criteria we have is what we want to be measuring. Yeah, another just, whole can of worms and another whole uh, <laughs> another whole pairwise conversation in there, too. Right. Well, fair. Exactly. I mean. I well, do and that's the same problem. Even if we have a pairwise, we still have to decide what data is going into that system what, and what whether it it's measuring what yeah. we want to measure, right? Like, I agree <laughs> that some sort of automatic system to pick which teams get in the tournament would be great, but that also requires us to agree on what data we're using to pick that system. Um, and and the, I think it's the always going to be an argument. The only thing I don't like about, you know, the last 10 games in D1 or whatever it is, is it's always conference-based. You're, you you hardly have anybody. So you're literally benefiting to the conferences that are behemoths, teams to get extras in because, well, of course, they're playing the best conference in the country. Um, and, and a team like, I'm going to say Webster on the women's side only because it's an extreme case. I don't mean to use them as, as my example here, but they're playing this LIAC. Oh, yeah, of course they're going to go 10-0, but they're going 10-0 against you know, opponents that aren't the same 10 and 0 that or a five and five that a case Western is going against. So I like that every game counts. I, yes, I agree with you, Ryan. It's kind of weird that, you know, Stockton's in because they won a game on November 17th against Keene state and they're a different team since then. But what have we said since, since day one, the game on November 8th means just as much as a game on February 25th, there shouldn't be a differential there. And we all know that teams change. We all, I mean, heck, how many times Ramapo changed their roster at midseason? <laughs> and then, of course, the question we have here, though, is did the game on November 17th actually count more 
than some other games because it's involved in the winning percentage and the strength of schedule. And now it's being used. Well, it's it's a regionally ranked win. Regionally and ranked. It's being used yeah. as a particularly good regionally ranked win. So now it's essentially counting four times in the course. Yeah, but of- I think we've seen some examples where the criteria doesn't always pick that up. There were a couple, I remember on the women's side, especially we were looking at teams that had a really good winning percentage, had a really decent SOS, but they were one in three against the regionally ranked opponents. So the data on the SOS and the data on the win-loss said, this is pretty good. The data on the regional rank said, yeah, but they haven't played anybody. Well, I'm not disagreeing with that, but what I'm saying is you're you're con- you know, once you prioritize like a really, really big win in the way that they did this year, it was a tiebreaker in many situations, right? So that's already one of your ranked wins. And you're saying, not only do we want you to have, you know, four or five regionally ranked wins, but we want one of them to be especially good. Like you're, you're continuing to elevate. And I think that's really where some of these teams that don't have a high SOS or aren't able to schedule, you know, 12 regionally ranked games really have the complaint, right? Because say they go out and schedule 12 regionally ranked games, but they can't get one against that number one or the team that they beat happens to finish two or three in the region, right? Like the one game that they were able to get and able to win all of a sudden now doesn't count for as much because that other team who's really good just wasn't quite as good as the next one. You know, like that that just makes right. it even more difficult for some of these teams that don't have a strong conference. Um, and that's really where I, I love the predictability of being able to say, oh, you beat Keene State, you're going to be in. Like that's great for us to predict things, but... I don't know that it's fair for some of these these teams that are in smaller conferences. Yeah, I think the quad counting can be a problem. You know, if I'm trying to set some habits for myself and the habits are exercise, get my heart rate over 120 and take a shower. And if I go running, I, I just knock out all three. It's like, <laughs> am I patting myself on the back extra or am I really trying to form three separate habits? And I think and- Matt made a great point about the UAA that having many ranked teams is a reinforcing factor for everybody ahead of them in a way that maybe wasn't intended when the ranked win system was developed, which was really just to say, hey, we want you to beat, like, display that you can beat top teams, even if you have a poor SOS, or even if you have a great SOS, did you go two and eight against ranked teams and kind of suss that out? When now I think you can run the risk of it counting a whole lot, like a single result counts in all the criteria. And I don't really necessarily want to take a side because I think there's a lot of pros and cons to all of these arguments where I have a little bit of sympathy is we're talking about a team like Stockton or a team like Illinois Wesleyan that is clearly good, but also clearly inconsistent, right? That's why they're on the bubble because they've been inconsistent. And then you have some of these teams. um, I guess we realized Nichols wasn't actually on the table at the time, but I'm going to use Nichols as the example because it's the one we spent the most time talking about that um, didn't really even have a chance to prove they were inconsistent, right? Like, we think they're pretty good. They have some indications that they're pretty good. Um, but but that's where I feel like I personally, and I'm not saying the criteria does this, I'd personally rather give a team like that a chance than the team that has already failed a whole bunch of times, even though we know they're good. Um, you know, and I wonder if that conversation changes as we get a longer bubble, because that's the other part. Yes, we're talking about Stockton's resume being one of the weakest we've ever selected, but we've never selected a 21st or a 22nd pool C team before. Right. We're comparing them to previous number 19s or number 20s, and they're a little lower than that. But we've never predicted, we've never picked a number 22 before. Um, that's true. And this is a bit so that we don't know gone, what that looks like. 
This yeah, is a bid that would have gone to someone out of the NECC last year or someone out of the uh, CSAC, right? That uh, that did not get a no longer have an automatic bid. It's a good point, right? And we we know that like the we're, gaps we're getting resumes to are a point where the these resumes are going to be very mediocre uh, <laughs> because we're picking more teams. Yeah, it's ironic that we're picking more. And the tournament hasn't grown. But yeah, it, you're right, because the UEC and CSAC combined, the NECC shut down, and we don't have a Pool B because there aren't enough men's teams. Uh, and now, next year, we'll be back to back 21. Back to 21. Yeah, because the, the uh, was it, CCS? CCS. Um, we'll be adding as an AQ. So the, obviously, there'll be moves and, and, and shifts, and heck, there could be more coming, for all we know. Um, but yeah, no, I, I did think of that. Talk, then we talked about Texas. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? This is kind of where this comes into play. By the way, Riley's here for anybody who's joining us on the podcast. Yeah, always, always glad to join Dave and uh, excited to, to talk about some of this, some of this bracketing and the way these tournaments are shaping up. It is definitely an interesting conversation, both on the men's and women's sides. I think we saw some, some interesting things that came about today with, with these selections. Um, one of the um, one of the questions that I I know was talked about with Bethany Danley, um, and I want to get the other you know, we have you know Riley who focuses on women's basketball a little more, and Scott who focuses on it exclusively, and Dave who's here who's had these conversations, um, and had these conversations with other people off this call. The the one overarching theme that I have in my inbox today is about NYU's placement in the women's bracket. And, you know, obviously these are people who already know that NYU wasn't going to be able to host because the NYU men were hosting and it's the men's year to have the first weekend that priority. But I want to hear from you guys, if I could take over the show, Dave, I'm sorry, but I want to hear from you guys about uh, NYU at the sales, two teams that were in the top 16 and theoretically deserves to host each separately or be separated from each other. And then I will cede the floor to the rest of you. I am. Get, I think it is a pretty tough deal for both NYU and Catholic to have those potential second round matchups that are quite difficult. I had to sales around my top 16. It's clear the committee had them probably in the 18, 19, 20 kind of area. And as a top seed in the over in the entire tournament if we could seed it perfectly you're playing seed 32 you're playing a low two in that second round and i think the sales is quite a bit above that catholics probably around an eight overall seed and washington lee is right around 17 16 17 18 so i think that's also a pretty tough second round matchup and about nyu it's clear they wanted to send nyu as close geographically as possible and that was a big constraint so i don't know if Vassar or New Paltz or Springfield, how much any of those were in the conversation. You know, it sounds like they were all available spots, but I don't know the specific conversations on how that goes down. I think for DeSales and for Washington and Lee, would they rather host and play these good teams in the second round or not host and be on the road at, you know, I don't know, New Paltz and Smith or something? I think those differences in their kind of overall win probability for the first two rounds is probably really close, but it would have been nice to protect NYU a little more if they had that flexibility, which I don't know if they had. I don't think they had the flexibility, but I think Ryan stoked about this. 
Yeah, I think the sales has got a chance here. But Ryan also had a good point there. And I think what Bethany said was also apropos. They don't want to ship NYU far away from home. But where else were they going to go? Vassar. Well, it's we we don't know if Vassar put in bid to host, though. Right. Like so that's that's the other thing is the teams that might be more um, appropriate for them to go to may not have bid for this. And especially, I think a lot fewer women's teams are bidding than I think we've gotten to the point where almost everybody, you know, even close to reasonable for the men are putting in bids just in case. But I don't know that that's quite caught up on, on for the women yet. But uh, the other thing that I was thinking about today um, that we dealt with in bracketing is, you know, most of the pods, we try to have a one, a two, a three, and a four. Um, and what we ran into was we had a glut of twos in the Midwest, which is what required yep. the extra um, host, host out there, which is DePaul, which now removes one. Uh, there's already been one removed for the Texas pod. And we had just, we were forcing twos a lot farther down the bracket than they were supposed to go. I mean, I think we we make the big deal because of the hosting situation, but like, I think Gettysburg and Johns Hopkins are also pretty underseated like their second round matchups are not necessarily fair to the opponents they're playing either um and what we found in bracketing was just some of these teams were getting pushed down just by geography and the the matchups were not fair i mean the mock bracket we did i didn't feel like they were fair but they were the best we could do given the constraints they were just all of these teams that should have been two seeds in pods they were getting forced into threes and i think that's kind of rippled through this tournament and it's it's unfortunate but i don't think it's terrible especially i mean the alternative is just bracket of death all over the Midwest, and that would have been unfair. But going back, first off, as Bethany said on the interview, they don't, historically, they don't go for the three seed or the four seed mentality. So Vassar's a three, four, so that's not in the conversation. They go for the two seed. And and yeah. as Bethany said, you could argue that in circles. I could argue that in circles. I see both sides of the of the coin on that one. I I can I can see where it's it why they go to the two, and I can absolutely see the argument to go to a three. But that said, they go to a two. So until that changes, we got to have that mentality. Second, what bracket are you creating there out of what we've got, considering all the ramifications that's going to pull on the ripcord? Sure, and that's why I think that's the Catholic one is harder. Right. Because Catholic and Washington Lee are a little bit harder to like Washington Lee is harder to get to other places, whereas DeSales has a lot of flexibility. You could kind of put them anywhere. Um, and yeah. But no matter who you send them to, that's a brutal scenario. Hey, by the well, way, NYU is coming to your gym. DeSales is, a, DeSales is a high two. There's there are low ones in the area you could have sent them to. Who? New Paltz. New Paltz. You're yeah, going to send a, a one to a one? The sales was not a one. Bethany was like, I know she didn't say it outright. I know that. I'm saying you're sending him the new Paltz. That's a one to a one. No, no, we're, I, we're sending the sales to new Paltz. Okay. Where's NYU going? You take a low two like Vassar or Trinity, Connecticut. But I think Vassar in this case is more like a three. Yeah, depending, would be a two. depending on how like i have i have vassar 28th you know which maybe the committee had them four six spots lower and they're a very high three um and that's assuming we have a geographical match that's a rank match that has a 
post bid in, which right. we don't we see those. Send, and we can't send them to Trinity, Connecticut because the men are hosting. Right. Well, that's that was, another that was, that's a two that in the right. Then yeah. then you start getting stuck pretty quick. You can if you're sending them yeah. to a three, then you're down in the Dartmouth Messiah area. And I'll just let you know, Scott, like when I was doing the mock bracket last night, it took me 40 minutes just to place the 16 hosts. Like and that that is just never happens. Normally that's a relatively quick thing to put it together. Yeah, I mean like, it was I get what you're saying, Scott. My point is I think because of the weird scenario this year where there were a ton of Midwest Ohio light area teams. And not as many. I heard one, I said it on the show earlier. There was one person who contacted me goes, she's we're used to filling in kind of the south middle area. We're getting sent up north to fill in a hole. I think we had this weird gap where you had to send NYU somewhere. And, and that's just where they ended up. I, I looked through it. I couldn't find a logical way of ripping that apart and putting it back together where someone, A, wasn't going to absolutely just hate the fact that they're hosting NYU. Well, that's, you know, neither here nor there. But B, I just don't, well, and, I didn't see a better matchup. And I, I think. Knowing, by the way, knowing the, the proximity too. side of it, I should, uh, let me add that. Right. In. Knowing I think the proximity we also have to look at, at the perspective too. Like I talked to a bunch of NYU parents when I was up there and they were just glad, you know, I told them, I was like, they'll probably be someplace within two hours of here. Like that's what they really try hard to do. And they're thinking back to the last couple of years when they're going to Hope and they're going to Transylvania and the trips that they're taking, like, I mean, those are second weekend, but like, like, you know, they're, they're just looking for something better than that. And, you know, I talked to somebody at DeSales too, and they were like, we just assumed we'd have to go to NYU and play them in the third round. Like it almost is better for us if we play them in the second round at home, like that gives us a much better shot than going there in the third round. And I think sometimes you know, there are teams that are shooting to win one game in this tournament, right? And if you get a bad draw, that's a disaster. But for these teams that we're talking about that are hosts or competing to be hosts, like they're not going to be happy with one win or two wins or three. Like you're going to have to play the good teams at some point. And it doesn't necessarily matter when you're playing. Like if you're complaining that I have to play the worst, you know, the, the better team in round two rather than round three, you're not really thinking in a championship mentality anyway, right? Then that shouldn't be the way mm -hmm. that these host teams are thinking. They should well, be heck, thinking about getting to Columbus, right? As like, you and, said. And you're going to have to play them sooner or later. And as you said to us earlier, they're playing them at home in the second round versus playing them at NYU in the right. third round. Exactly. And that's not an easy place to come in. I mean, that's going to be packed and the ceiling yeah, low. Right? It's going to be loud. Um, Mark Simon's going to be know, calling like the game. Be I'm, I'm, not, I'm not picking to sales, but that's the best chance they have for sure. You know, <laughs> I think this is a good segue into the extra flight that Bethany and the women's committee wanted, because I saw all of the strongest two seeds in the Midwest, like Illinois Wesleyan, Gustavus, Stout Hope Milliken are probably my top non-host level teams and taking a team like Gustavus and flying them to maybe your weakest one host, something like Smith. Um, you can ship Shenandoah to Transy and you can ship, um, I think whoever the three seed was there over to DePauw, something like so that. Wesleyan is that three. They're definitely movable. Yeah. No, so they can't something, go to DePauw. It's the same conference. You probably don't want uh, to anyway, but I don't know but, if they can, if they can get but, to Carroll, but I think there's enough flexibility there that moving a team like Gustavus or Illinois Wesleyan East to a weaker one. Um, where you had a lack of twos uh, would be good. Because like Messiah and is it Messiah and Shenandoah in with yeah. yes. uh, Smith? 
And so Smith's a low one besides a low two Shenandoah is a high three. So that's kind of a weak, weak ish pod that I think you could have balanced if you could, if you had the option to put a really strong two. Ohio Wesleyan can go to Carroll. I, I should point out, I mentioned before you guys came on, we are already getting an extra flight in the women's tournament than was required. Mm-hmm. So, like, we're talking about a second extra flight, which is definitely unheard of. But, like, I agree. It would have made a much better bracket. It's just it's probably a step too far. I'm glad they asked for it, right? That, yeah, totally. Yeah. That's something right. previous committee would have done. Listen, um, I get a feeling, and, and nothing I can, you know, nothing I can put a pin on, nothing I can put a finger on, nothing I can say this is definitely it. I Just a gut feeling. I'm sure the committee didn't love having that Texas pod. I like what they did and not forcing Millsaps there and allowing Harden Simmons to host instead so that it's not going to marry Harden Baylor. Um, I, I like some of the, the creativity with it. Obviously, the, the Oxy's coming in. Um, but I, if, if I were to guess, and I'm completely guessing because, I don't know, because one of my other thoughts was well, maybe they wanted that Northwest pod, right? And so... You know, to fly two teams in there, and that would have, but I don't know if that's the extra flight or not. But if my guess is maybe they were trying to do something to break things up down in Texas, I don't know what you could have done. Well, I I don't know if it's a straight trade. They were talking about one additional flight. So the only way you get one additional flight is if you. Um, send Millsaps to Mary Harden Baylor and like fly out her. I don't agree. Otherwise You're already you, flying the Northwest schools out, right? If you yes. keep the Northwest, if you keep the two Northwest conference teams home, you can. No, no, no. You've I'm then saying got two flights back, and if you're adding another one, you you could do three. Saying, oh, you can move three fly more the teams two around. Northwest into Texas, Dave, and fly one. No, Texas I'm saying out. maybe they don't both go to Wisconsin. What he's saying is you you host a pod at Willamette. No, I'm saying is maybe they're trying to rip apart Texas. Whatever. No, I'm saying maybe they're trying to rip apart Texas. But you can't get anyone else to Texas without adding another flight. Yeah, you're going to have to add No, because. Yeah, once you Can you do this without it being a swap? Because let's say you're already flying. You're already flying Millsaps. You're already flying two Northwest and you're already flying a California. Yep. Right. What if you flew one of the Texases out? Out and flew one of the Northwest teams in. It, there. Right. But that, that's okay. I, I'm not sure yeah, that, that that's the mindset. Good. I don't know. I mean, they were very clear, like, not wanting to. You don't want to put a bracket together where you're giving a host to a team that didn't earn it, right? Like, that's. Right. Harden Simmons is not in a position that would otherwise have been hosting other than geography. Fair. And, and that's the problem. But I, I do give them credit that when they needed one in the Midwest, they just went for the best geographic host. Agreed. Right. We did the mock. We tried to give it to Illinois Wesleyan maybe because we thought they were higher ranked, but they just were like, Indiana is the place that we need this host. It's the best place geographically for our bracket. We're just going to give it to DePaul and, and move on from there. Yeah. Guys, right? start like, it right also, here. This is where we're putting it. <laughs> That was also helped by not having Loris in their field and having Ohio Wesleyan, right? Everything shifts just That's a true. Bit to that's east. true. It shifts at east. Right. Yep. Yeah, that's a great point, Pat. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't know. I'm we, speculating. We have never I'm gotten completely guessing. That they would make that selection because of that reality, right? They just were fortunate they would, once they no, had right. made the selection. No, you don't. Yeah. No. That's right. But one of the reasons why theirs is different is they were dealing with one different team than we were. In that which which made a significant impact on the 500 miles. Yep. That's a great point. 
Yeah. Yeah, I don't know where it was. I, I'm just literally, I'm trying to throw things around while my brain finally settles out of the fog from today. Um, you know, where could it have been if they're if they're getting one that would have had a, a major impact that they fought for it? That's why I also took it that it had to have been make it would have made an impact that they felt was significant, not just to say, "Hey, we'd like another flight." You know, right? Yeah, Dave, I think you bring up a good point there with the Texas pot, especially because you know the, the thought was kind of, I mean, they they talked a lot about running cross region matchups and, and maybe you know Mary Harden, Baylor, Harden, Simmons, Trinity, all there. It, that's not consistent with what we've seen across the board with other, re- but again, there's not much you can do there unless you're going to pull in an additional flight, which I don't know if they, they wanted to, or had the ability mm. to do right. But they could have thought was maybe could have driven Millsaps down there and then you'd have to, but well, that's- and that's, and I told Scott, I, you know, before we came on here, I, I kind of thought, you know, maybe you host the pot at Mary Harden Baylor and then you don't use the fly on Millsaps and you use it on Gustavus at office and create something like we were talking about before. That seems like it makes a little bit more sense than flying Millsaps. But again, I mean, that's just my opinion. But doesn't that then disadvantage Harden-Simmons, who's likely the better team there, versus you're rewarding Mary Harden-Baylor and putting Harden-Simmons on the road? It felt like to me like they didn't want to – if they had to have a host down there, they were going to go, to your point, Ryan, with the better host, the one that deserved it the most. Well, what you could do in that situation, though, is bring in a one, make Harden Simmons the two, host it at Mary Harden Baylor. That's the three, and then you have a pod that matches your seating better, right? Well, but what about they Trinity? Could, I mean, or, you know, they they you could have flown in NYU. No, because well, no, you can't because they want to keep them but, close. Yeah, good point. But you could put it to sales there, or you know, somebody who's. A little a little lower down on your one or a little higher on your two like i mean you can or i mean they would yeah i mean it's they probably would have flown Harden simmons out and kept trinity there because of the conference issues but like you know what i'm saying is that you could have brought a one in for that pod um they wouldn't have gotten to host it maybe even a situation like catholic bring them into a oh, pod true. where they can actually be a one right because they can't host at home and give them a pod that they're yeah, I mean, it goes back like, to proximity you can do again. With an extra flight that, that it does, but I, but that I mean, the only so disadvantage is it goes back to the proximity conversation that they want. If if a host can't host because of a, the other gender, they want to keep them close. But I see your point. I mean, that's a that's an interesting mm-hmm. idea. It just gives you an opportunity to make an actual pod that's ranked properly in Texas and kind of making lemonade out of lemons to use the. By the way, yeah. I completely Brace. forgot in the uh, in the national show. I wanted to sneak this in, but due to time constraints, I skipped over it. Um, I hope Dale Wellman is happy. Uh, Nebraska Wesleyan's being shipped to Texas. Uh, his standard was he wanted someplace with good food. I think we in San Antonio that's going to work out for him. Much warmer San Antonio food on this show. I'm, I'm, I've had San Antonio food. It's pretty solid. Oh, I know. And I was just there in September. And of course, uh, Riley is uh, is familiar, if not more so than any. I mean, I've heard it's better than the food at UMHB. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I love that barbecue, man. UMHB uh, brings in some good local barbecue. You have a shiner for it, Pat? You have a shiner for it? I have a shiner anywhere I go in Texas. Plus, I have it just down the street. Um, Anyway, Um, I don't want to 
I, I, the flight thing's fascinating. I appreciate that the women's team wanted to push it. I don't think we need to go any further down that. I would love to have known where it was going. I do like that I think the reins are off in the second weekend, as long as it's not crazy. Both team, both committees have, signi- not significant, but you know, flights that are going to have to take place, and, and they seem to have them in good spots on both brackets. What, what the NCAA or whoever, whoever nebulous person isn't making rules about travel, um, because we never seem to know who that is, right? Um, it used to be almost anyone in any pod had to be within geography of, right. of somebody for the second weekend, right? And now it really does feel like it's just the top seed, you know, the host in each of these pods that they're trying to match up, which really gives us a lot better opportunity to to cross region and, and make better brackets. But even if chalk holds, I saw three or four guaranteed flights for sectionals on the women's side, um, which is kind of cool. I hate to keep going back to football, but we should all thank the Cortland State football team, which elected to drive twice in the uh, December, November, December playoffs when they were entitled to have flights paid for for them. You're saying it saved uh, us money? I'm saying it saved the Division Three championships budget money. Absolutely. Maybe. I'm hearing buses are more expensive these days. I'm going to say all the coaches complain about buses being cheaper than or more expensive than flights these days. So I don't know. The thing is, of course, though, when you when you fly somewhere, you still need to have a bus locally on either end. Right. No, That's a good point. Yeah. And in football, when you fly, it is a charter flight. Plain and simple. Because you got 60 people. Yep. Yeah, there is no trying to squeeze them onto a Southwest airline or onto a Spirit or or maybe five planes to get them all there uh, in one one fell swoop. So, no, you, it's a good point. No, Cortland, hats off. Tip of the hat. Love you, Red Dragons. It is the year of the Dragon, even though that was before the year of the Dragon. Um, No, I, I like it. Um, I, I don't know who ultimately makes those decisions either, if it's someone on Champs Committee or it's somewhere higher up in, in, the, in the division itself. I, I'm not sure, but... Yeah, I mean, on the women's side, you got what? NYU is your one, technically, with Mary Harden. So someone out of the Texas group, Someone's or maybe fly. California, yeah. going somewhere. And then you've got, you know, Scranton and or Christopher Newport. Um, they can all drive to New York. Right. What I'm saying is that that's not, you know, as much as a, initially you're like, oh, my God, it's it's actually pretty reasonable while still giving you a lot of variety. And so, Transylvania and Whitewater are drivable between each other. So that that quadrant down there as well it's should be you might have a flight in there if there's some upsets but like that one's in in pretty good shape too all of them can drive yeah i say it's basically fully drivable unless like minnesota morris comes out right or puget the Sound. upper and the <laughs> upper right has got a flight sitting there you know you got bowden and uh new paltz oshkosh smith again all drivable but you potentially have someone from an out of region like you know like oshkosh. an oshkosh, oshkosh or somebody who's quite drivable there dave no no can't quite can't quite drive Oshkosh nope. to Bowden. Even if the lakes are frozen, it's a little challenging. Um, Even if so I like it. I, I kind of liked it. Um, I like how they bragged on Megan Wilson of, of trying to be as, as creative in her final year on the committee, you know, last year's chair. Well, and that's another one you get the benefit right. of. We ended up with six Midwest hosts. Even with putting four of them together that could drive, you still have two that are going to have to go in a, in a potential flight area, and there's mm-hmm. nothing you could do about that, um, which is – a huge blessing to putting a good bracket together. So, um, well, the, the yeah, lower I mean, right's about the only wall, oddball one. It, it, you got Bates, Wartburg, Catholic slash WNL 
um, Rhode Island College, depending on who comes out where, you might have an extra flight sitting there. But it's again, it's not unreasonable, and and it gives us a, a national scope. Remember when there was a time we didn't get to see the true national side of this till we got to the Final Fours, and sometimes the well, national championship game itself, right? Right, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So I, I we had I'm brackets where this. they were putting three and four teams from the same region into pods, right? Like that happened pretty routinely. Um, why don't we do the same uh, the same kind of uh, run through with the men's bracket too? I right? literally so was calling got... up the men's bracket to do the exact conversation. Yeah, there sir. you go. So like, w- wait, you know... one sum up on the women's is okay. that I yeah, think the top it. seed is protected in each quadrant. If chalk holds, Agreed. There's no reason to send the the sectional host to anyone other than NYU, Transylvania, Bowdoin, and Rhode Island College, and I think that's sweet, right? Yeah, for the yep. most, that was like, important. I, I don't know if there's some ago. scenario if Chalk doesn't win, then someone else more can bust to them than one of those top four overall seeds. Um, but I, I like that. You know, the message is clear. Like, if you win, um, you're likely to have a sectional if all the other things are in order. Right. Yep. Unlike CNU a couple of years ago that mistakenly didn't get protected. Um, right. I agree. Yep. Um, yeah, I was, I was flipping over to the men as you were saying that, Pat. Um, cool. Well, that I, doesn't apply to the men, which is something we need to talk about is they've got the spot there that if case Western bracket holds they're I mean, that's set up to be played at trying the second weekend. Everyone can get to trying, but they can't all get to case Western, um, which is just something we, we faced in our mock too. Like that's just the way it was going to have to work in order to give all these teams first weekend hosts. Um, well, and to be fair, Case Western has been the benefit of some circumstances in the past. I know the past doesn't count, but you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, you got to put. They were the point. beneficiary of the same situation last year, right? That was the, yeah. Well, the beneficiary of people not putting their paperwork in two years ago, oh. where they they and Marion Bale were the only possible hosts, and so it had to go to Case um, due to buses. Um, no, you're right. You know, I didn't. Scott is signing off, but I wanted to thank him for his good work. Thank you. Yes. Thanks, Scott. I, I got to get, we'll figure it out. But thank you, buddy, for your hard work. Appreciate it. Riley, you staying on? I'll stay on for a couple of minutes, Dave, and then I probably got to jump off. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good for a couple more minutes. All right. I just got to get creative with my camera shots here. Bear with me a sec. Forgive the sure. uh, so, random. While Dave, yeah, while Dave does that, I'll, we'll talk through some of these other uh, big quadrants too, maybe. Yeah, go for yeah. it. Okay, so right over in your top left, right, the the first weekend hosts, they're Hampton-Sydney, they're Catholic. Uh, then there's uh, two Region 10 hosts coming from the islands, Cal Lutheran and Trinity. Obviously, if Nebraska Wesleyan comes out of that, it's a little more interesting, but still someone who's more likely to fly to what I would assume would be Hampton-Sydney if uh, Hampton-Sydney advances, right? There's no reason to think otherwise, right? Well, no, because you'd have those two pods that the top two can drive no matter who comes out of the other two. So yeah, um, you wouldn't do three flights for any other reason. So, yep. Makes sense. And the seating holds for that too. I mean, Hampton city was the number one overall seed for all intents and purposes. Uh, bottom left, Widener hosts, Oswego hosts, uh, Keen hosts and Guilford hosts. This is a little more geographically spread out for sure. They can all get to Widener, which is pretty central when it comes to East coast teams. So, that's a nice one to to have Widener both deserving it and also being central. Like that doesn't happen too often. 
But it's interesting because usually the bottom team in a bracket is considered in that section is considered the top seed. Mm-hmm. Well, well, it, used it did to for the women, way. but it didn't work out that way for the men. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. And football's not like that either. Football's been all messed up over the course of the last five years on that. I mean, it's, it's it's not logistically hard just to flop the spots, but it, I'm being nitpicky, but it, I when I read that at first, I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. What's going on here? Because Widener was, they, they were above Guilford in the in the top 16 conversations for the most part. I don't think either two's resume f- did anything significant to right. flip both that of them lost. Both of them lost in conference tournaments. Right, yeah, and um, to reasonable opponents, so. Yeah. Um, interesting, I think, uh, you know, us, we go, obviously, still the prohibitive favorite, Um Widener, Christopher Newport would be a very interesting game if that's what we get in the second round over there. Um, I refuse to rule out Penn State Harrisburg from anything anymore. Uh, so we'll just uh, I'm just going to hold my uh, hold my thoughts on that. Um, I, I was like going to get angry about uh, Hood and Penn State Harrisburg playing against each other. Then I remembered, oh, different regions, right? Yeah, never mind. Technically, that's different regions. But no, I agree with you, Pat. Um, if there's if there's a road that allows the Lions to make a run, you're looking at it. That's not bad, yeah. Yep. Uh, top right, we talked about a little bit, right? Um, Trine is the uh, geographic centerpiece of this, although they are, they are not the top seed, and they are probably not the – are they the second seed, maybe? Probably the three up there, but just based on yeah, the I way think that they're the three. Yeah. Case, Wash U, then Trine, followed by Platteville. And Randolph Macon, John Carroll, Trinity, and NYU. I think Trinity is the only one so, I have to think about, right? Well, that's the one that's – they all fit. They all work because that's actually one that's come up today that I've talked to people about. Um, okay. Likely by the seating, Trinity seems like a little out of place in this pod. Um, and I – you know, likely they probably should have been switched with the Keene State um, – pod over on the other side however uh keen is too far from randolph bacon to make a drive on the second weekend um and i'm sure that's why that was done the other suggestion we had i think i think it was matt snyder even said maybe flipping the trinity pod with the guilford one um i suspect they didn't want to put a more highly ranked odak team into the they've already got virginia wesleyan in the randolph bacon quadrant but i suspect they didn't want an extra ODEC host in there. Well, I think um, you're right too, in that you would then would have two NESCACs in that one, right? Uh, or you'd have more NESCAC. My, maybe I'm not reading correctly, actually. So moving Trinity doesn't affect that, but certainly moving Guilford over to the other side does put them in this. It would be much less. Make it in the eight. Yeah. It would be much less spread. It would be a lot more regional mm-hmm. in nature, um, which we would then yeah. complain about, right? Um, <laughs> right, right, right. So my point was, my point was badly mangled, but it was not to have two NESCAC teams, but you'd have two Northeast area teams, even if they are Region One and Region Two. We've already played this year, um, right? That's yeah. a good point. And again, on this side, Randolph Macon's being treated as the better seed than NYU. I would assume. I mean, Randolph Macon's pod is really good treatment. Yeah. yeah. I don't, well, so I, maybe that's the time to be to be fair to Matt, who couldn't be here, to bring up um, some of the complaints that were on the D three datacast reaction today. Um, he was looking at some of these quadrants, the way that the D one tournament does that with a one through sixteen, 
um, which would set up. We'll use the Randolph-Macon. Uh, well, actually, let's use the 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 Case Western um, bracket as the example. Um, so I would set up Hope and Anderson as the eight nine, um, and he was uh, trying to compare those. What was the other one? The the Calvin and Elmhurst. Elmhurst, uh, yeah. One mm-hmm. which both of those Calvin is above Hope in the rankings. Elmhurst is above Anderson in their same regions. Just showing that they're like two weaker teams and two stronger teams paired against each other. I'm not sure that's as big a deal. I mean, obviously, it's less like the way the D1 tournament operates. But my contention was always that that D3 kind of has a tradition of protecting, especially in the first weekend, those number one seeds. Not just giving them a weaker resume in the first round, but tending to put two teams together so that they're going to have a relatively weak opponent in the second round as well. Um, I don't know if that's right or wrong, but that is typically how it's been done. And you can see that all the way through, right? Randolph-Macon has St. Joseph and Geneva, which are relatively, I mean, we know St. Joseph is pretty good, but like it's a relatively weak resume. Um, and I mean, obviously Christopher Newport's a big name defending champs, but their resume has been hop notch this year for, for Widener. And then you've got Stevens and Farmingdale up for Hamden Sydney, which is another, you know, a similar thing. Um, I think both those teams are very good, but um yeah, again, resume is not not super strong, and so I, I think that's something you see as a unique feature in the D three tournament that they they tend to try to keep those top seeds um, relatively protected through through that first first weekend if they can. Yeah, I can't I can't jump into the you know the well. First off, I also think that the men's committee wanted the potential of an Elmer's John Carroll matchup in that second round if they could if it could flush itself out. I mean. Um, well, all you uh, would have to do that. is switch Elmerst and Anderson, and you could you could fix that. Like it's it's not a big fix if they wanted to. Like to me, it, it does seem like they did it on purpose, which I think is what Matt is a little upset about. And I was saying I think they did it because they would rather John Carroll have a harder second round opponent than Case agreed. Western because John yeah, Carroll's agreed. Frank lower, yeah. right? Like yeah, and listen, pie in the sky one through sixteen is wonderful, but we we have so many hurdles that could keep that from being feasible i don't understand why getting wrapped up in it not being perfect in that scope is one that you would want to lose your mind on yeah well, that's I mean, the, that reflects how good these brackets have been lately right uh-huh. that's what we're picking up on are relatively insignificant we don't have a bracket of death to get upset about we don't have you know some some crazy miss misbegotten thing like it's this is what we're complaining about because it's something to complain about, right? Like, you're not going to look at this bracket and just go, yeah, that's great, because we wouldn't even have a show tonight. <laughs> right, Dave would be able to be uh, logged off already and done. <laughs> True. <laughs> I would say, I, listen... I agree that it would be nice go to go through 1 through 16 and try to see these all correctly, or in, in some semblance of correctness. Um, I believe that what they try to do is they actually try to do this... Do, don't they actually try to do this with groups of eight? And of course, we know that they try to do it with groups of four. And again, someone tell football about this because, for goodness' sake, it absolutely happens in other sports. Football committee, but uh, hey, Pat, I'd love to. I'd be happy to, to make calls. Please do. I would love, Dave. Go clip through salient uh, bits of uh, your conversations. And I was not joking on X yesterday when I said that I would love to have Luke Flakertsy give kind of a master class to the uh, football championships committee. Luke Flakertsy, um, Sam Atkinson. Do... Yeah, exactly, right? 
Uh, but we're trying to do one through eight, right? We're not trying to get one through 16 correct because geography kind of doesn't allow us to really do that. And, right. and if That's you do always it perfectly where my in one is. quadrant and geography keeps it from happening in another, then you've, you've, yeah. you've you know, yeah. unbalanced your whole tournament, right? Exactly. Like, right. You don't want to make one side, you know, completely completely perfect if it makes another side more different because that's i think what would have happened in the, in the women's tournament i think we could have made the east coast seated completely fine but uh -huh. it would have really really messed up those teams in wisconsin and and iowa Fair and point. illinois like yeah right. i gotta complain on the east side of the of the women like oh my god look at the four high seeds i'm like well it's it's just as brutal everywhere i mean like where you get where do you want it not to be tough and i was looking at this you know you talk about trying to protect the one seeds I was looking on the men's side. I don't think there's a one seed who doesn't potentially have actually a tough second round game. Even Hamden Sydney. Stevens is no walkover. Farmingdale State Farmingdale goes back to Hampton Sydney, right? What? Farmingdale goes back to Hampton Sydney like last year and makes noise. Yeah. That's a possibility. Right, exactly. Case Western, by the way, flying squirrels, prov. Oh. Uh, just love the fact that Mary Mary Baldwin's there. But Hope and Anderson, I don't think our walkovers. I mean, look what Hope did just to get to this tournament to begin with. Randolph Macon, I feel bad for John and Lacey. They have never gotten past the first round, and the committee said, Hey, John, we love you as a committee member. By the way, you're playing Randolph Macon. Um, but I don't think St. Joseph, if they get through, is any slouch. Um, maybe Geneva, Geneva certainly impressed this year. You, right. I mean, St. Joe's this year is not on the same caliber as some of the other teams we've talked about in the last no. three minutes here. But, yeah, they're still pretty good for sure. I mean, um, NYU's going to have Tufts or Stockton. Um, Guilford's going to have Hood or Penn State Harrisburg. Keene's going to have Eastern or TCNJ. Uh, Oswego's, honestly, DeSales or Williams, especially if it's Williams, I might be a little bit worried there. It, we already mentioned Christopher Newport sitting on the other side of Widener there. Um, Hobart seems to be a pretty good team, but again, if it's CNU, that's a scary second round game. Catholics got Rowan or Carnegie Mellon. Jeez, I mean, especially, I mean, that's a hell of a first round game. Um, yeah, and sure. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying, Cal has got to say this too, Dave. I think some of this too is, you know, we lose two automatic bids and we bring in uh, at large teams, right? And the at-large teams are better than those conferences that are dissolving for sure. So fair, I think, yeah, good point. You know, that's two spots again. That's just that's two spots, but that's two spots where you're going to have really good at-large team playing in the first round and maybe advancing to the second round as well. It's a great. Ex you're, that's you're, a great. You're bringing point. Stockton to replace yeah. Mitchell this year. Essentially, is what you're doing, <laughs> right. right? Like, I mean, that's that's right, night and day. Right, and someone's replacing uh, Rosemont or whatever. I don't know who won the CSAC most recently, but something along those lines, right? Oh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, Cal Lou's got to get past Whitworth and then potentially St. Thomas or Claremont Mud Scripps. Um, Tr Trinity, Texas or Dallas, Texas. Good luck. I mean, that's not easy in the first right. And then you got Nebraska Wesleyan potentially. I, I was a little surprised. I don't think Luke answered this one where I as well as I was hoping. I think I would have flipped. Do I have this right? I would have flipped Centenary with one of the Texas ones. Would that have been okay? So I think, Dave, as I think about this, here's what I think might have happened. Maybe they are uh, maybe they're protecting Trinity and St. Thomas from facing each other uh, in that second round. That's certainly a possibility. Um, 
they have, I mean, basically as, uh, uh, as Ryan broke them down in our bracketology last night, there's two fours in this pod for Trinity. There's both Centenary and UT Dallas. Both of those were fours on our board, which is why I sent uh, one of them out uh, when I was mock bracketing yesterday. But and Centenary's you know, in which Centenary's in in Texas. the SCAC. Yeah. Right. So there's yeah. the there's the curveball you can't get away from. Right. You can't yeah. have all three of them there. Right. And well, and I was thinking also, more like you can't get Trinity Texas playing Centenary, so that Texas Dallas is playing Nebraska Wesleyan. Yeah, that doesn't. Yeah. And, okay. And it also properly seeds the Kalu pod. Like St. Thomas yeah. CMS is a true two three. Agree that you you exactly. don't normally get from these yeah. island situations. You know, like. Yeah, would it have been cooler to fly St. Thomas to, you know, to Case Western and send one of the Midwest teams out there? Yeah, it would have been cool, but it wouldn't have been great for the teams themselves. Right. right? So your Calvo <laughs> pod has a one, a two, a three, and a four, and then the St. Th- the Trinity pod has a one, a two, a four, and a four. Yeah, fair. It's not terrible. Yeah. No, I. Good you know, like point. St. Thomas is flying no matter what. You don't want to then add another. Another team that's having to fly halfway across the country to play. Well, and I think like, to some degree you also cool want to give it them is for the bracket. It's not cool for the players, right? And, right. And to that point, you want to give them a chance to actually maybe be in that second round game. You're just not going out there to get, as we use on the term, was it sometime? Was it last night? You don't want to be the fodder. You know, you don't want to be the one who just gets absolutely trashed. That's not a good experience for the student athlete. Yeah, you got to go somewhere, great, but not if the game wasn't at least you know exciting or, or fun to be a part of. Yeah, well, there will be ones and fours forever, but yeah. No, absolutely. I just mean sending them on a long trip just to send them back feeling like crap. Maybe that's something that's in a in the minds of those who try and put this stuff together. I, I don't know. I'm, right. I'm guessing. Oh, right. It's we are, described to we, us that way, for sure. More so maybe in the You're driving Mary Baldwin an awful long way for a game that I don't see any way for them to win. You know, like well, Mary, we, we are. It, they're not getting on a plane, but they're taking a long trip. And it's right? so it's like it's in, the, in that scenario, Dave, it's like if you would have sent LaRoche to Case and sent Mary Baldwin to Hampton, Sydney, then you're keeping them close to home. But, you know, also, Dave, really 16 seeds or eight seeds, whatever, eight of eight, 16 of 16 don't deserve to be close to home. Right. They have they didn't earn yeah. that is, you know, fair. fair. Part of, yeah, that's a good point, too. Yeah, no, I agree. I understand what you're saying. I always try to send them medium distance. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> Enough to be a trip, but not enough to be a behavior. You did not see that the same way. <laughs> anyway, I could continue the thread. There's, there's certainly other. I mean, Trine's got Cohen Wabash on the other side, and WashU's got Dubuque, Illinois College, and Platteville's got Loris and Gustavus. There's, there's certainly some other challenges right. out there. And by the way, to answer it, Luke did answer that question. Why is that the Platteville pod the way it's designed? There was a a common game from earlier this season that they were trying to avoid. Yeah, and that's the question. Then you have to come down to: Are we, are we trying to like? This is a much harder game for Platteville, right? Like Bethany Luther is really good, um, and and I think they would much rather have the rematch than what they've got right here. Um, and and so Maybe. like I guess the committee doesn't get the right to like. How do you decide when to stick with the seating and when to? 
avoid the It's rematch. probably which complaint like, do you want to deal with? Do you deal with the complaint that you got to play Bethany Lutheran, or are you going to deal with the complaint that you're playing a common opponent that you had earlier in the season? Right, but it says like, in the book conference opponents, but it only says conference opponents. Right, I know. I but I'm saying, saying you're going to get a complaint no matter how you set situation? this up. Right, like who's complaining in this situation? Like Platteville is going to be upset with what they've got. If they did it the other way, I think Platteville's still upset with what they got. Maybe Gustavus, right? Like, yeah, right. I think right, but I think Platteville Gustavus was a rematch, also, right? Well, that's what I mean. Is Platteville Gustavus yeah. would be the rematch, mm-hmm. but that's where the seating should go. Yeah. yeah, but again, we're picking very, very small things. Exactly, and which is why it goes yeah. back to my very first comment out of the gate on this. We are nitpicking on things that years ago would have been dreams to be nitpicking about <laughs> compared to what we normally I got. I still have, well, I, like back in 07 or 08 or whenever that bracket of death was, I went and matched up the equivalently ranked D1 teams that year into the pod, and it really was like Duke, Kentucky, Syracuse, <laughs> Connecticut, like like in a first weekend matchup. It was it was sort of yeah. ridiculous. Um, I if wanted I'd to like wrap to, it up from that, though. I don't know if there's anything say, else. I was gonna, uh, I was gonna propose we adjourn. We'll no, I, adjourn. I, there's nothing else I've got. We're past my my cutoff time anyway. I said I'd be done at nine thirty, and here we are at ten oh four. So uh, I'm good. Um, I don't know if anybody else's thought final thoughts, but we'll go around the horn. Riley, we'll start with you. Any final thoughts on on what we saw today or this weekend? Yeah, Dave, uh, just I, I think it was uh, for the most part. I mean, we've touched on this you know, several times, but I, I do think both brackets on the men's and women's sides were, were well done. I think we did get the cross region matchups and some of those interesting uh, pods that, that we wanted to see that we certainly saw last year. I think, again, you know, especially on the men's side, there were you know, certainly some, some, some questions on the seating of certain things. But at the end of the day, I think these are, are two very good brackets that could produce two very good tournaments and I'm looking forward to seeing how it all plays out. I think they did a good job of trying to, to get some of these cross region matchups, avoid those non-conference rematches, which again, they don't have to do. Uh, but, but I think they did a good job of, of trying to follow that as best they could. Agreed. Uh, Ryan Scott. I'm, I'm just excited for games. I would like to thank Widener for being really, really good and 45 minutes from my house. So I will probably be up there. And a big shout out. I've been so impressed. Uh, young SID, Greg Spica at, at Widener has been putting on top notch. I was there for the conference championships. I was there earlier this year for, for just a regular game. Like guy is on point in a time and an atmosphere where we are not putting enough money into game day ops and sports information and all that kind of stuff. Like he is doing it right at Widener and uh, just a shout out to them. Uh, when you travel to CSIDs, you should nudge them about uploading box scores and stuff into d3hoops.com. Well, I will make sure to mention that. <laughs> wherever you go. I'm not calling anybody out specifically. Wherever we wherever we go. Um, Pat, final thoughts, sir? Uh, I'm also excited for games. Uh, if I had to look through and pick out a pod that I kind of really wanted to get to, I'm just not going to, I'm going to uh, excise the Catholic pods from this conversation because Certainly would love to go see the alma mater either at home or at WNL. Um, I'm really intrigued by the Trine pod in the men's bracket that's Trine against Fontbon, Co and Wabash. That's a great combination of schools. That'd be really fun to go see. And I think was thinking on the uh, women's side of the bracket, 
Um, you know, obviously the combination that to sales is just a lot of fun um, because you've got that geographic diversity um, and maybe that really, really important nationally second round matchup. Um, I don't know that I have the uh, wherewithal to get to either of those places this weekend. Um, it's a little bit of a drive for me, but uh, those would be the places if I could teleport myself somewhere. That's where I'd love to be myself into on Friday afternoon. Yeah, that'd be Calhoun, fun. regardless of who's playing there. Yeah. I mean, yes, Thousand Oaks is beautiful. Uh, it'd be more beautiful if it were at Claremont or you know somewhere a little closer to the coast. Uh, but it is beautiful up in the mountains up there in the Ventura County. Yeah, I'm not sure where I'll be. I got to work on Friday. I got to work an early game on Saturday. Leaves me a chance to go somewhere maybe Saturday night, but we'll determine it later. Gentlemen, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. Enjoy a, a little bit of downtime if you can find it, and we'll uh, look forward to catching up with you uh, down the road. No downtime here. We got to assign stories and all oh, sorts right. of great stuff. Yeah. Like well, if you don't mind, I am going to start writing. So you know, yes, whatever. You, you got to start writing. If you don't like, mind, I will spend some downtime. That's okay fair. I'm going to send Riley some story ideas, or maybe Riley will send me some story ideas. You guys can stay on the Zoom if you want. Sounds good. <laughs> all right, I'll see you guys. Thanks, Dave. Riley Scott, Riley Zayas, uh, Pat Coleman, of course, earlier, Scott Peterson joining us. We're going to wrap it up from there. I want to thank all of you who've been donating to the program. Certainly appreciate it. We've not been pushing that enough. We will continue to try and push it, though. Our goal is obviously still a long ways off. Um, but if you uh, can, it's via Venmo. You can also go to our show page. There's a Give Butter option. There's also an option to purchase equipment or ideas and wishes that we would like for our studio and production needs. We have an Amazon wish list on our show page. We'll tweet that out uh, as well. Um, if you want to purchase it somewhere else and ship it to us, that's fine. We just, it's an easy way to compile a list and we did so on Amazon. So feel free to use that if you need. Uh, I want to thank everybody for uh, participating in the shows the last few uh, weeks. I want to thank the NCA crew for allowing me once again to chime in on the um the men's and women's bracket shows. I hope you enjoyed them. I certainly did, though they are a bit of a blur. They are a beast, folks, to put together, I promise you. Uh, it's amazing how much is thought and said that is not written down. Um, thank you, all of you who've tweeted along or joined us in some way. Megan Wilson uh, saying thank you, everybody, for the coverage of D3 Hoops and advancing the game since I started on the Women's Committee. I appreciate your understanding and appreciation of the difficulty in the process. It's been a great run. Looking forward to this last journey. We're going to miss Megan Wilson, I promise you, on the women's side of things. And with that, we're going to wrap it up. I want to thank uh, Bethany Danley for the Women's Committee and W and the Associate Athletics Director at Washington Lee. And Luke Flukertzi, the Men's National Committee, and Rochester Men's Basketball Coach for coming on the show once again. We, we, we ask a lot of them to talk about things. They are more than willing to give their time, and I more than appreciate that fact. And I hope you can appreciate the fact that they're willing to come on as well to do all of that. And with that, I think we're going to sign off. Let me see if a couple of... Uh, um chip says on the uh youtube appreciate all the hard work everyone have an awesome first weekend you'll hear from me from newport news on friday Eight fifteen tip hope i can stay up happy birthday dave well thank you sir um phil nagley you also wish me a happy birthday thank you phil uh it's not today folks uh i worked right through it over the weekend gotta stick with the limitations as stated no need to make the d3 tournament a d1 tournament Maybe no need to make it a D1 tournament, but it's nice to try and get as close to that kind of idea as possible, right? Um, that'll do it. I don't think I see any other emails that have come through, so we will sign on off. 
on that note. Thanks, everybody, who sent in videos. I know some of you sent in some videos here later in the show. We'll try and get them in maybe on Thursday's show. We're already going to start working on guests for Thursday's show. Right now, that's going to be a 7 o'clock show. But I'll be honest with you, there's a part of me that wants to know if maybe we should move it up into the afternoon if we can get some better guests on as a result. We're going to work on that. There's an outside chance we move it to the afternoon if we can get some guests, better guests, uh, or get our guests on at that point versus an evening show. There was something else that may have come up that evening. I'm not working, though. Uh, It is a rare Thursday that I'm not going to be assigned to something. But nonetheless, I digress. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed our coverage over the weekend. Um, If you did enjoy my coverage specifically, please consider donating to the program so that we can continue working on into our 22nd season and elsewise. If you appreciate what they do at D3 Hoops, there's a Patreon system set up, something we're going to look into for Hoopsville as well in the future but nonetheless thank you for tuning in we'll see you back here on thursday stick with us on social media find us at d3 hoops for the hashtag hoops for the or on facebook it's just hoops so we'll have updates on our schedule coming up on thursday of course next monday we'll be on the air oh yeah when are when are we on the air next monday we actually have to is it next monday we might need to move up the show let me double check that i i i don't remember my schedule from uh hole in the wall um no, we'll be on the air at 7 o'clock next Monday as we recap the first week of the NCAA tournament. But tourney preview coming up on Thursday. Looking forward to that. Already got some great guest ideas in mind. We'll get them out to you and look forward to having you all joining us here. You've been listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com and our friends at Sport Tours International. You want to improve that sports that strength of schedule number, you want to go to the D3Hoops.com Classic, which is put together by some of our friends at Sport Tours International. Be sure to uh, jump on board with them. If you need to get a hold of them for that event, which I think is still taking some applicants for next December's event, contact me or Brett Seymour at Sport Tours International. If that event does not fancy your taste, you want to do international travel maybe, uh, maybe you want to go to uh, uh, I think Costa Rica or Europe or somewhere like that, they're the group for you as well, and they even have the Daytona event at around Christmas time as well. And with that, I also want to thank the National Association of Basketball Coaches for all of their assistance with our show as well. We are signing off until Thursday. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Hope you enjoyed it. Take care. If you want to talk Division Three basketball, you've got to listen and watch Hoopsville. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Talk to you soon.